And my demons and the voices saying nothing's gonna be okay. All right, well, guys, here we are. We're going to do another recap. Um, we've been trying to do these things quarterly, and today, Yan and I are welcoming Brad Page from the I'm in Love with That Song podcast. Hey, Brad. Hello, Brad. As everyone, I think, in the community, we're all sort of a community here. Everyone kind of knows each other. Not only do we, not only do all the podcasters know each other, but it feels like a lot of our listeners know each other, and we kind of share all the same listeners. So I think there are a lot of people who listen to us that know who you are, but if they don't, those who know, know that I'm in love with that song is one of the best music podcasts out there. And uh, so it's an honor to have the Brad Page, and I could say that comfortably on here talking with a couple of mm. chuckleheads like us. Tell us about your podcast, Brad. Sure. Well, um, I've described it this way before, but um, if you bear with me for a minute... I read a book once about dogs in the military, and uh, one of the ways, uh, one of the interesting things in the book was a description of the way that a dog's sense of smell works, and that if you walked into the room with a, a McDonald's hamburger, I could smell that that's a McDonald's hamburger, but a dog can smell not just the overall hamburger, right? But they can smell the mustard. They can smell if there's a pickle on there. They can smell how much uh, cheese and, and ketchup and all of those. They, their sense of smell, they really can pick out all the individual details that go into making the overall smell of a hamburger, mm-hmm. which is a long way around of going to explain it. I try to do my show to get us, including myself, to listen to a song, to use our ears the way a dog uses its nose to not just hear the overall song, but let's see what the bass guitar is doing. Let's listen to how much reverb is on the vocals, uh, the structure of the song, and really try to get into what goes into making a good song great. So that's what my podcast is about. 
Yeah, you're you're a whiz at this. And for anyone who is unfamiliar, uh, I wanted to mention or give a shout out. First of all, every episode has value. Recently, you did back to back what I thought were total masterpieces with "Yes" as owner of a lonely heart, which I was really impressed because I know you hate '80s music. And I'm gonna. <laughs> this is gonna be a recurring theme on this on this recap today. But having you finding the the resources or the sources, I should say, to make that episode especially interesting was masterpiece. And then David Bowie's "Space Oddity." I think you felt this way too. Uh, taking the bass out and just listening to what. Woody is doing is wait. Woody Wood Woody Woodmansey or Trevor Boulder? Uh, actually, this was before them, so it's a guy named Willie Weeks, I believe, who played. Oh, okay. I was trying to remember who played bass on Space Oddity. Yeah, that there. It's not even the same song. You're just blown away by what's happening under the covers. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You made me appreciate blues music for a minute. You played that BB King episode. For a I have. Yes, I have total respect for BB King, but I cannot. I don't have. I have a low tolerance for blues. Yan is not like that. Yan loves blues music, so that episode was really good too. Thanks, John. Sure, Brad. You were here in Denver a couple of weeks ago for work, and we got to hang out one day. That was and so two things. Number one, it haunts me how badly I botched up our lunch. (laughs) You did not. I did. I bought, I botched our lunch. Let me, let me tell the story here. So we have a lot of great restaurants here and I'm a little bit of a foodie. And so I have like 20 places in mind for when you get up, when I pick you up that we're going to go and I'm excited to show you. And you said you wanted Indian and that kind of threw me for a loop. I hadn't thought about an Indian place. And there are these two Indian places that are pretty close to each other in the same part of town that my wife and I go to all the time and we love them. And I panicked for a moment because at lunchtime in this particular part of town, I'm imagining it being really busy and us having to like, could we find a parking spot or would we have to pay for parking? Could we get there? Is it going to take forever? And I, I panicked and I took you to this out of the way little place that I like to go to that my wife doesn't like. We get there and it's, it's the lunch buffet and you're like, oh, I love a good Indian lunch buffet. My personal feeling is that the lunch buffet is when they pull out the dregs, like the stuff they don't, they, we got to get rid of this stuff. I never have the best Indian food at a lunch buffet. And sure enough, this one was like that. And so I completely failed you. Every time I drive by now, one of the restaurants I want to take you to, a little piece of my heart dies because I failed my opportunity to really impress you, Brad. Uh not that big of a deal. We had a good lunch. We had great conversation. And that's what it's all about, really. We had, that was a great day. I really, really enjoyed it. And I good. thank you so you much too. for your hospitality. Of course. I loved it, too. Yeah, next time he's here, we got to take him. I'll take him to the barbecue. Do you like barbecue, Brad? Oh, love it. Okay. Remember, yeah, oh. we went to Jim and Nick's barbecue? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That was great. Loved yeah. that. Me, too. So next what time you're place- here, Brad. Oh, go What's the place you and I went to for breakfast? Where was Something it? Pete's. Oh, Pete's Kitchen. That's a, yeah. that's a landmark for Denver. Yeah, that's this 24-hour place. And it's the place where all the weirdos go at like 2 o'clock in the morning when all the bars and the clubs close down. It's just uh, it's an institution, a Denver institution. So anyway, I just wanted to apologize. Thank you for giving me your time and apologize for failing you on the lunch. Oh, no problem. It was fine. Okay, good. 
boy, your your voice is like butter, Brad. Would you say it was fine? It's just it's purr. It's beautiful. <laughs> uh, you're making me uncomfortable. Well, okay, okay, I'll uh, stop. It's true. Yeah, uh, next feel time it, right? Yeah, next time you're in Denver, hit Pete's Kitchen. Yes, we got to go to Pete's Kitchen next time. Uh, uh, we're back there this time of uh, the year again next year. So okay, okay, we'll do it. If we're still um, speaking to each other, let's do it. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> One thing now, when we were we were walking around Twist and Shout, the record store, for a while, and we were talking about your show, and you had said that you don't like to take requests. And I thought, yeah, yeah, good for you. Don't take requests. You you stick to your guns there, buddy. And then immediately I thought, okay, I have a request for Brad. Let me preface this by saying I don't actually care. if It's not so much that it's a request. It's that I would love to hear what you would do with this song. And I don't even know if you'll know it. It's uh, New York City Serenade by Bruce Springsteen. It's the last song in the Wild, the Innocent, and the East Street Shuffle. Are you familiar with this song? Yeah. Okay. It's like 10 minutes long. It's my favorite Bruce Springsteen song. And it's probably three or four songs all rolled into one. It goes into these weird tangents and back into the main tune. I don't know if any of this resonates with you. But one day, if you are ever just starving for ideas, know that John would appreciate a New York City Serenade episode, okay? I'll consider it. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, to say that sounds like purgatory for me. Ten minutes of sort of Springsteen song. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm not opposed to Springsteen. The problem is um, one of the things I decided early on is I'm also, I'm a big prog rock fan, uh, but I decided that that was probably out of the scope of the show just because those songs tend to be 10, 12, 15, 20 minutes long, which means my show would be probably an hour long. And I try to keep it to 15 minutes, 20 minutes max. So, it, I mean, not that I haven't violated that, but I try not to. So I'll, I'll put it on my list. I have a pretty long list of stuff that I want to do, um, but I, I, I will tack it on there. Okay. Okay. Just a thought. Just a thought. I would love to hear you break down that song. Now, I'm going to mention this, and uh, as I mentioned before we started the actual show here, there may be differing opinions whether I should get into who it was that cut the interview short that I had recently. I posted this on Facebook. So let me let me explain what it is. I had I was interviewing somebody that I was very excited for to as a guest on this show, and I had done a lot of research for this one, and about 20 minutes, it was very clear that we were not jiving. It's always difficult on the phone to find a good rhythm, you know, know when the person is done talking so you can insert yourself, know when to speak up like, I hear you, that's great, wow, great, whatever. It's it's kind of a hard thing to feel out. and But then usually, it, sometimes it starts out a little weird and you eventually find a groove and you go for it. This one, we were not finding a groove. And uh, eventually... Well, I'll just say, so it was Richard Lloyd, who was the guitarist for television. And uh, I love television. I think you do too, Brad. Their debut album, Marquee Moon, is one of the greatest albums ever. Absolutely. And yeah. I love a lot of Richard's solo work too. Yes. And uh, he did a lot of work with Matthew Sweet, who Yan and I are big fans of. Me too. And um, John Doe and a few others. He wrote a book, uh, his book. Autobiography called uh, Everything is Combustible, 
couple years ago, and I read that book twice to get ready to speak with him. And I know that he is a unique personality, you know? He's a little crusty, he's a little different, but I respect that, and I love his music so much that I didn't think it would, I thought I could handle that, it's okay. Um, but we just didn't, we couldn't find a very good rhythm. And about 20 minutes into the interview, he finally said, you know what, I don't wanna do this anymore. He was very respectful about it. He was not, he said, it's not your fault. You are who you are, but I don't really like the line of questioning. It's uncomfortable and I don't want to do it. And I felt terrible. And so, and the thing that I, the chemistry that was going on there was, you know, a lot of people will tell me a lot, you know, they like my enthusiasm that I come off as a real fan and they can tell that I'm excited and I am. And so when I was talking to Richard Lloyd, I was like, like an 11 on the enthusiasm scale, and he is a mellow guy, and is it like a two? And the, the, none of these are knocks on him. I re actually really respect the fact that he said something and called it off versus doing it and getting angry at me. But we just didn't find a good groove, and he called it out and uh, decided he didn't want to do it anymore. So we stopped, and uh, I thought I would let him cool off, and I would try him again later, and I emailed him again this week. And I just said, Richard, if you'd be open to it, I'd love a second chance. I will change or do whatever it is I need to do to uh, be the person that you want me to be for this to be a valuable and enjoyable experience for you. And he wrote back and said, no go. So I don't think we're going to have Richard Lloyd on here. I was so excited for that Tuesday morning to come around and me to change the cover photo on the Facebook page and have people up to one of television and have people be like, no way. Someone from television is going to be on the show, and it's uh, it's not going to work out, I don't think. So that's never happened to me before. I probably shouldn't have posted anything on Facebook. I kind of did it to lick my wounds. It was a little bit like I was a little shell-shocked, kind of got punched in the face, you know, and uh, wanted to lick my wounds, but I, I, sh I did it anyway. So a lot of people were curious. I purposely didn't say who it was in case I could get him back, and I don't want anyone – I'm not interested in creating some kind of a mob – idea here where suddenly people are angry at Richard Lloyd or whatever. That's not at all what this was. He's just a different guy. And uh, I normally totally, and I respect that and was trying to kind of meet him in the middle somewhere and we just didn't find a good groove. And so it's not going to work out. Well, if anyone would like a consolation prize, I do have a Richard Lloyd episode of my podcast coming up uh, before the end of the year. So there's that. I was hoping you would say that. Uh, yes, it was, you know, I've always been a television fan. I was less uh, aware of his solo material, and I went in and dug into it, obviously, to get ready to talk to him. And uh, there, there's no one that plays guitar quite like Richard Lloyd. And it's funny. I uh, I love the song Sick of Myself by Matthew Sweet. And at the end of that song, there's this out-of-nowhere guitar solo that kind of keeps going. I didn't realize until getting ready to talk to him that that's him. And now, of course, it's blatantly obvious. I can hear it. But I didn't know that before. And one of the things that kind of bums me out about our interview is that I started out with him talking, asking about television. I probably should have started out talking about his book. I have a, I had like five questions relating to television and a hundred relating to his book. And I should have reversed that. Maybe he would have warmed up to it a little bit better. So I'm bummed about that. But anyway. Yeah, let's hear from you. What's your love life? Tell us about your love life. Still, only the one date from Tinder that farted in my car. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to flesh out the story for us. 
Did I not tell you about it before? Well, you told me personally, but I don't think you've shared it with our dozens of listeners here. That's news to me. <laughs> That's what I oh, that was that was a good one. So had somebody swipe right on me on Tinder, and I thought, yeah, why not? Uh-huh. And so I swiped right back, and I went out on a date, and driving her home afterwards, and she cut one loose and <laughs> tried to pin tried to pin it on me. <laughs> uh, which is kind of ballsy. <laughs> the joys of dating. Now, did you hear it? Yeah, it I mean. Oh yeah, I heard it. And and you know when it's you, because yeah. if it's you, you'd feel it coming out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You and would. I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, she didn't do, just do that. I'm like, oh yeah, she did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, so that was your one and only date with this person. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, that okay. was. And Brad, I've had a few... Let me ask Brad. Brad. Brad, you and I have been married for a long time. You longer than me. Did you ever have a girl fart in the car on a date with you? Uh, not on a date. Oh. No. You have a, not, you're well, qualified I've been married here. You for 30 years. There's been plenty of farting on both sides at this point, but not on a date. <laughs> okay. Did you ever fart on a date? I don't recall. Okay. Just checking. There was a story there. Um, I have so many dating horror stories. Anyway, continue, continue, yeah. So I've I've also had a few that look old, that considerably older than the years. I'm like, oh, left, left, left. Huh? It's like it's like the Indianapolis 500. <laughs> nice. So are you are you meeting girls that are Scottish, like near you, or what? So far, you know. So I've, I've only just had that one. Mm-hmm. And I did have somebody swipe right at me that looks like a dead ring of her Steffi Graf. Mm-hmm. But I haven't had, had a chance to meet her yet. She works nights. And mm-hmm. these days right now, I'm never home before 9 to 10. Just to oh, add ahead. on this one, I do have, I do get occasionally ones that are older than me uh, swiping on me on Tinder. I don't mind that. Just don't look like you're as old as my mom. <laughs> What's the what's the age range? How tell everyone how old you are and how w- far you're willing to go, older or younger? So I'm 48 right now, and I'm willing to go like six years older and okay. maybe maybe about the same younger. Okay, that sounds about right. Okay, well, good. I you know I every now and then when we didn't do your love life a couple recaps ago, I heard about it. So I thought, okay, we got to we got to get back to Yan and his love life on here. Real quick, daily polls. I've started doing these daily polls on Facebook, just in case anyone. I know you're, Brad. I on the one hand, I respect you for not being on Facebook, and on the other, it is so inconvenient. You have no idea. Well, the podcast has its own Facebook page, but I do not personally uh, partake in social media to any large degree. I do have an Instagram account, but. Yeah, you know, I feel like we're we are already a culture that is much too obsessed with ourselves, and Facebook mm-hmm. only exacerbates our feelings that yeah, everything we do is just fascinating, and all our friends yeah. are fascinating, and my children are just so fascinating, and I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm more inclined to believe we're all just dust in the wind. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you're right. I I have to admit. Because of the podcast, I am way more invested in Facebook. I, I still don't do a whole lot on Twitter, but I do. Facebook is kind of my hub, you know, of 
communication with people. And since starting the the podcast, I feel like anchored to it all the time. And I and I love it on the one hand because it's so fun to communicate with listeners and friends. But on the other hand, I just think I would love to take some time off. You know, give me a couple of months off mm-hmm. of all of it. So anyway, I'm I'm always trying to find the best way to kind of engage with people, with our listeners, especially on there in a meaningful way. And I started doing these daily polls a little over a month ago. I was listening to the Elvis Costello album, Trust. And there was, I'm blanking on the name of the song now, maybe you remember, but there's a song in there that Glenn Tilbrook sings with him and uh, of Squeeze. I thought, man, what a great pairing. And then I thought, I wonder what, I wonder who people like better. And I threw it on the Facebook page and we had like 150 responses or something like that. Now in the past, I've done stuff like that before and I'll put something, I'll post a poll on there and we'll get like 100 responses and I'll think, oh, that's fun. And I'll do one the next day and we'll get 46 responses and I'll think, oh, never mind. You know how it is. Well, you don't because you're not on there, Brad, but well, maybe you can feel this way. Like when you post your guitar pictures and stuff. You feel like you've sort of exposed a piece of yourself and thrown it out in the world. And if you don't get enough likes or enough response or enough good juju coming back, you feel naked and want to pull back into yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get that. But to me, that's part of the trap of yes. social media, right? And it's yep. I just try to uh, avoid, you know, living in a a world where we're all judged by how many likes we have and all of that. Just, just, I don't want any part of it. I'm an old fart though. So what do I know? Well, everything you're saying, just, I mean, I, my story just proved your point and why that that's probably a better way of living. So anyway, I threw this poll out there and then I thought, and I got a good response. I thought, well, okay, I'll keep posting these as long as people seem engaged and they keep being engaged. So they've been kind of fun. So if anyone is not following us on Facebook and they want to chime in every day, check out our page and and join us, I guess. By the way, I want to mention something about your podcast, Brad. You talking about listening to the dissecting music differently. Um, I never really did that until, until starting this podcast. And I would get someone on and they'd be the bassist of a band. And so I start listening to music with them in mind. Like, what are they, you know... I'm, I'm kind of listening to the bass playing where I never paid any attention to that before or the guitarist or whatever. One of the, the best results of doing that was when I had Bruce Thomas of Elvis Costello and the Attractions on here a couple of years ago. And I've never thought one way or the other about any bassist or any musician individually outside of the band or what their contribution is to the band. Now, when I... I have a love-hate relationship with Elvis. Sometimes I love him. Sometimes I can't stand him. But when I listen back to those albums, Bruce Thomas is one of the greatest bass players I've ever heard in my life. Do you do you agree? Do you do you feel anything for him? Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I he wouldn't be in my personal top ten, but um, really, yeah. But I mean, there's just so many people out there, right? And, um, yeah, true. He's. He's great. He's rock solid. He was very creative. There's a lot of interesting stuff in in mm-hmm. those early uh, attractions mm-hmm. tracks. So yeah, total respect. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, I've discovered that he's kind of the special sauce in a way. You know, like the thing that's elevating some of these songs is his individual playing, and I wouldn't have noticed that before but your podcast and the way you approach things and the people i'm interviewing and everything i kind of, i start to listen it's kind of like when you take a film class 
and you become aware of fades and camera angles that are supposed right. to make you feel certain ways. And then you, Oh, it's making, it's working. I'm feeling the thing the guy was supposed to make me feel, you know what I mean? Same kind of thing. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. Lastly, before we get into the recap, I, um, Oh, this, I do have a question on. Those oh yes, polls. please. Yes. So when did, when did Facebook cut that to two? Cause I remember doing some a while back and I could have like five or six, no problem. I'm glad you reminded me to say that. Yes, for whatever reason, it's so frustrating. I think they only allow two options in a poll, which is why I only ever do two. Two. I would so much rather do more. I've thought about doing like a bracket of our episodes to see like what people, what episodes people like over others. But I would have to, if I did that from a poll perspective, it would only be two at a time. That would take forever, you know? If anyone out there knows how to get more options in a poll than just the two, uh, tell me, because I don't think you can. I don't know how you do it. I've wondered the I'll exact need, same thing. Man. I'll need to have a look. Yeah. Let me know if you find anything. Uh, okay, then lastly, I want to say, I think it was Andy Shaw's idea. Most good ideas come from Andy. I think he uh, suggests, I always post on my personal Facebook page when I go to a concert, and um my feeling is I hate it. I'm, do you go to a lot of concerts, Brad? I don't go to as many as you would probably think, considering I'm a music junkie. But um, I, I guess I go to my, my fair okay. share. Does it feel like everyone is just holding up a camera or holding up their phone and watching the concert through the camera on their phone? Yes, it's another thing being an old fart that I don't completely understand. That people are they're they're videotaping it, right? Like, who yeah. are you videotaping it for? I don't and know. Who's gonna sit and watch? Because they always sound terrible, right? Yeah. The audio sounds terrible, and the picture's not that great. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's just I I don't really get it. It's it's just this weird thing of of um, I don't know, capturing it for your own posterity, but just put the phone down. And be in the moment. We went to see the Pretenders um, mm. a year ago, two years ago, and um, it was like stated all over the venue. There was Chrissy was very insistent on on none of that. She she mm-hmm. broke none of that nonsense. Um, she wanted people to just watch the show and enjoy mm-hmm. the show, and mm-hmm. and uh, don't take out your phone. And you know, she mentioned it from the stage, and I believe there was posters around, you know, saying just kind of little printed by the venue that just said, mm-hmm. you know, out of respect for the band, please don't pull out your cell phone kind of thing. And, but I thought that was super cool. Yeah. Just, uh, it's kind of a lost thing of just living in the, just experiencing it while you're there, not through the lens of your phone, but in a way it's sort of an extension of, and I find myself doing this all the time when you go to an arena show and you're not in the front row, mm-hmm. you catch yourself watching the big screen TV. Mm-hmm. And not the little people on the stage. Good point. Um, and I constantly have to pull my own eyes away from the screen mm-hmm. just to, to watch the real humans on, on the stage. And I guess it's sort of an extension of the same, the same thing. But, that is a really brilliant thought. I do that exact same thing. And, I, and it's like when you watch a movie with subtitles. And you don't need the sub, like if it's speaking, if they're in English, but they're on there anyway. And I find myself reading the subtitles, even when I don't need to, and I just think, what, don't, what, just absorb what's going on. You don't need to be distracted by that. What do you have a feel? Do you have an opinion about this? Yeah. Some people feel very strongly like, Hey, I paid for this ticket. I can pull my phone out if I want. 
and some people think it's a distraction. Do you have an opinion? Yeah, I like. I mean, for me, I like to maybe take one or two just to you know just to keep track of I was mm-hmm. there. But other than that, I don't want to sit there on my on my phone and video everything and take ton of photographs. I, I want to listen to the music. Exactly, that's me too. So. I'll pull out my phone and take a maybe a, a, a shot of each. If it's like three bands in the on the show, I'll take a picture of each and then put the phone away. But it's that's a different than videotaping it. Look, yeah. I, people can do what they want. I have I have no problem with people videotaping as long as you're not holding the phone up in front of the person, mm-hmm. you know, behind you or something, mm-hmm. so that you're blocking their view. That's that's obnoxious. But look, do do what you want. I just don't get what are you doing with that video? Mm-hmm. My guess is you're sending it to all of your friends who maybe watch like 10 seconds of it. Right. And, you know, and that's it. So you're you're deluding yourself if you think that it's again, that everything you do is fascinating and all mm-hmm. you're going to be fascinated by the fact that you went to the show and, and recorded this really crappy looking video. Yeah. I'm a hundred percent in agreement with both of you. And I, so when I go to a show, I tend to, I try to take a picture one or two, like one picture at the very beginning and then post it and then put my phone away. And I do that more just to document for myself. Like Jan was saying that these are the shows I've been to, you know, so that I can look, I don't, really care if it gets a lot of likes it's not really for everyone else it's more like proof that i was here for myself and um, i've always posted those pictures and i only like i said i only take one and it's usually during the first song and then i put the phone away and i've been posting those on my own personal facebook page and andy shaw suggested why don't you post these to your to the podcast page and let everyone else know where you're what shows you're at and i thought okay i'll try that so i've been doing that lately like last night i saw mike watt from the Minutemen. A couple days ago, I saw Morrissey and Interpol. And tonight was supposed to be The Who, and they canceled, well, they, they've postponed, which is different because you can't get your money back if they postpone. You can only get your money back if they cancel. So um, later this week is The Water Boys. And uh, so anyway, there's a lot of shows coming up, and I, I'll probably continue to just post a picture on there just so people can see, I guess, what we're doing. I uh, maybe that maybe people find that interesting, maybe they don't. I don't know. As always, I'm interested uh, in your feedback. The Who's definitely on a bucket list, and they mm-hmm. they just announced a concert here in Glasgow at the, at the Hydro. Really? Where we went to where we went to see Alice Cooper. Nice. Yeah. Yes. And the the cheapest ticket is like seventy five. Oh. Like, no, no, I like them, but. <laughs> Yeah. Not paying that for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, this has been a hot topic with my wife lately, you know, because the money's got to come from somewhere. And when there's a bunch of concerts all at once and it's like, you need 50 more bucks for that or a hundred bucks for that or whatever. So with them, I agreed that I would just buy like the cheapest nosebleed ticket just to say I was there, you know? And I think it came to 50 bucks. It was $38 and then like $12 in fees. I thought that's probably good enough. I'm, that's fair. Now, in two weeks from today, Phil Collins is going to be here. Don't uh, Brad just barfed in his mouth when I said Phil Collins. I I have a feeling. Uh, <laughs> you could, you can confirm or deny that here in a second. But anyway, I love Phil Collins, and I've never seen him. And this has been this is the one and only time I've ever even had a chance. And so I want to go, but I know not to break the bank, or else I'm in the doghouse with the wife. So I got to buy a cheap nosebleed ticket, you know, 
which is fine. I'll do what I got to do to go see Phil. Uh, now, tell us, Brad, how do you feel about Phil Collins? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Talented okay. drummer. I uh, I love that stuff. Now, do you, are you a Genesis guy? You probably are because you love prog rock so much. I'm uh, sort of in the middle of Genesis, actually. Um, okay. Early stuff I, I, I like, but some of it is even for prog, it's like to just some of Peter's stuff is out there. I mean, I know people view uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway as just this great masterpiece, but to, to me, it's all, it's mm-hmm. like that could have been a single record, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Peter's solo stuff, I actually like uh, quite mm-hmm. a bit. I think that's, that's interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of here or there in Genesis. And once Peter Gabriel left the band, I became sort of a lot less interested <laughs> in the, and of course, that's when I got more interested. Of course, uh, of course. Yep. Okay. But All I right. Like Peter's solo stuff too, though, right? I do. Yes, that I do. Genesis stuff. I yep. I do. Absolutely. Um, I will say those first three. Uh, there's an evolution to me of him be- on the first solo album being still pretty Genesisy, and then it, it eventually goes into more poppy solo by the third or fourth. You know what I mean? There's a. There's a an evolution there and of course i like it as it gets more poppy culminating with so um which is a great album uh yeah i just that some of the, some of that music is it's more interesting it's than it is enjoyable it's like oh okay 20 minutes of noodling that's good for you that's great that doesn't mean i like to sit here and listen to it you know what i mean but you feel it like you really feel it you love it. Oh, listen to that. That's I feel that in my heart. Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that about Genesis, but um, Some, yeah, I mean, noodling is uh, to me. I don't put that in the category of noodling, but it's it's it, you know it can be excessive. I mean, to me, that the crowning achievement of that kind of things is the Yes uh, Tales of Topographic Oceans album, which is you know two album said just f- four songs total that just are interminably long um even for me as a prog rock fan that's just a bridge kind of bridge too far again it's a, i think you kind of really hit the nail on the head when you said you, it's sort of it's it's interesting without necessarily liking it. Mm-hmm. like wanting to like well that's great i want to play that record again you know this is not mm-hmm. the kind of thing that like as soon as the record's over you pick the needle up and you put it back on so to speak yeah. and play it again um even though you can really appreciate the musicianship there's there's plenty of yes stuff i like more genesis has some brilliant stuff too supper's rent is just an incredible piece of work but mm-hmm. um some of it is just a touch too far for yeah me. i mean the songs have to be there right the songs true have to be songs yeah i from- agree my buddy Jeremy, that's a long story, but he was considering getting rid of all of his CDs. And so I have them and uh, he changed his mind. He's going to get them back. But one of those CDs is Tale of Topographic Oceans. So I have that in my car right now. And this week I'm going to devote my hour long commute to work to, I'm going to, you know, I'll listen to the first disc on the way to work and the second disc on the way home and decide for myself how I really feel about this thing. We'll see. Wish me luck. I might fall asleep and veer off the road. It's something. something everyone should do. I think everyone should listen to that record once. But yeah, you know, compare that to to me. Uh, Close to the edge uh, mm-hmm. is their masterpiece. I don't know. Fragile is the most popular one, obviously, but 
close to mm-hmm. the edge. I think is a brilliant record, and um, and it, to me, it never loses interest. Whereas Topographic Oceans just kind of, ooh, that's a tough sit, as they say. Yeah. Do you like nine hundred one two five? I do. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. You know, it's it has a lot of the '80s production thing that that mm-hmm. only goes so far with me. But again, the songs are there. The, the performances are great. Um, there's interesting stuff happening on that record, so it it totally works. Okay, good. That's like in my top twenty, probably twenty or thirty favorite albums of all time. So I was just curious. You know, I would love you to make this list because every time I hear <laughs> different shows, the, the list of that's one of my top ten <laughs> records. Like, I think your top ten is about five hundred and sixteen albums long. <laughs> Here it comes. Yes. I take a lot of heat for this. I know, I know, I know. That's why when I sometimes, now, sometimes I'll just generally say, oh, that's one of my favorite songs of all time. And to me, that means it's in like the top 200 or something like that, you know? It's just up there. I love it above everything else. When I qualify with an actual number, like I did on 90125, that's like saying something. Oh, John has actually thought about this so much that he's narrowed it down to this field here that's so just so everyone thinks that i just throw these bromides out there random like i i just say these things without thinking about them i have thought about this a lot that's why i say those things okay i'm writing that down right now so i don't forget okay when john says a number okay <laughs> okay oh jeez. all right let's get the recap i feel very exposed right now me too what i was saying earlier about the likes and everything Threw it out there, and, I'm, and uh, Brad's not liking what I'm what I'm doing here. So I'm gonna let's jump off this and get into the recap. I'm starting to sweat. Do you guys do that every every pore on your you're bald like I am, Brad? When all the pores on the top of your head open up because you're you feel exposed and you're starting uh, to sweat. Yeah, you can't hide it when you're a bald dude. It's, yeah, yeah. That's me. That's me right now. Okay, <laughs> so let's take the let's take the attention off me and my dumb little quirks and get onto the recap here. I do have one question before yes. we we get started. A year ago, or maybe it was even two years ago, you were mulling around this idea of having um, putting on a show this this hustle palooza. Whatever happened to that? Did you decide not to pursue that? Is this just pushed on your back burner? Is it out of your scope? Or what 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 happened to that? What I thought was a great idea. The the urgency or the momentum of it sort of died down. You put me in touch with a friend of yours, and we played email tag for a little while. And then it was around the time – it started to heat up around the time I got laid off from my job. And so other things, as they often do, just kind of became more important. And now – I don't know. There's days where I feel kind of burnt out from doing the podcast in general. And when I say that, I don't mean burnout from the amount of work. And Jan, I think, works harder than I do because he has the harder job, if you ask me. I don't, and I can't speak for him. I don't know if Jan ever feels burnt out. I do, but it's an emotional burnt out of like, maybe you feel this way too, Brad. Every Tuesday, we put out a, I put out a little piece of my heart and soul for the world to hear, you know, and going back to the likes or whatever it is, if there's not, if it doesn't get the kind of response that I hope that it gets, I feel, I turn inward and I start to get depressed and I feel like it wasn't worth the time. And when those kind of pile up and you've had a rough, a few rough Tuesdays in a row or whatever, it uh, 
gets hard, gets depressing. And I think, do I want to keep doing this? You know, I, uh, poor Yan does all this production every week. Do I want to keep, I don't know. Does, is he enjoying it? Does he still get something out of this? I can, I don't yes. know. Is it worth it? You do? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. Love okay. doing this. Thanks for saying that, buddy. It means a lot. Cause I worry about you and I worry about my feelings and I like to think we're putting out an elevated kind of content that's above the rest but maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm fooling myself. Maybe the universe is telling us that, you know, it's it's a niche little thing and it's just going to remain that and people don't really care and you're not very good at it. And That was a long if, tangential answer to your question, Brad. What were you going to say, Yan? Even if it is niche, it's important. We're putting out something that's covering other people's history. See, that's how I feel. I believe that. I believe we do quality work, Yan. You know, I think every week there's... We put something out that's pretty important. I mean, some are more important than others, but we're getting, we're hearing the story of rock history here, told through the people more on the fringes, you know, and their experience is valuable too. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it just takes an emotional toll, bottom line. And so when I think about putting together a hustle fest and I think, is anyone going to care? I don't know how many people care about the podcast, let alone a hustle fest, you know? I don't know. What do you think, Brad? Well, I, I think it's a great idea. I've never done it, but knowing people in the business, um, it's so, so much work. That's what it sounds um, like. That it would be, uh, it would be a huge commitment on your part. And uh, usually the first time out, these things are, they can be a shit show, even if they go great. Uh, you know, there's, there's will still be plenty of, headaches and migraines and stress and but uh it would be a cool way to promote the show yeah so uh the podcast and um you know just kind of put your put your stamp uh, on on the business in in a different way than what you do with the podcast you know i'm not i'm not pressuring you to do it and i you know no, i know i don't think i'd be able to travel to denver to see the show but I think it would be cool if you did it, but it was just something you were talking about for a while there. So yeah. just kind of wondering where, where that went. I don't know. I kind of just got moved on to other thoughts. I do think about it sometimes. And then I, for a while there, it was getting exciting. And then I sort of told myself no one would care or it wouldn't really be worth the work or whatever. And so I kind of moved off of it, but I don't know. Listeners, you tell me, I'm always, I, the polls, the concert picture, all of this is a means to get feedback. I love hearing from people, good or bad, and my feelings don't get hurt if people say that would be a total waste of time or I wouldn't care or whatever. I don't I don't want to just hear honest feedback. And so I'm curious what people think. And I wouldn't I probably wouldn't do it here. I'd probably do it. I've thought about doing it in Vegas, you know, because that's kind of a easy place for people to get in and out of. It's close to L.A. for anyone who would be coming from that area. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'll have to think it over. Um, okay. The recap, let's get into some of these. Grand Funk Railroad, I think, is where we left off on the last one. Even if it's not, we should talk about it real quick anyway, because I looked to you, Brad, to uh, help inform this this interview because of your love for, tell us. Uh, Todd Rundgren. I'm a huge Todd Rundgren fan. I'm also a big Grand Funk Railroad fan, too, so that was kind of, um, that was just, I felt great that I could contribute a little something to that episode. You did, and uh, for any, also, uh, it, 
to prove your point, the day you and I hung out in Denver, you were wearing your Grand Funk t-shirt. That's which right. Which I thought was great. Yeah. They're one of those bands that, you know, I'm like a hits guy. I, you know, I know the hits. I, uh, I've listened, I have or have listened to a couple of their albums, but they've never been like top of mind for me. But I think it's a really fascinating story there. And so when the opportunity came along to talk to them, I thought that would be a really good one. And I wanted to say, so I, before I talk to, this is start, I'm, my life is too busy to be 100% at this anymore, like it used to be. But I try really hard before I interview anyone to listen to every note of music they've ever put out. I talk to some people and they're like, why? It's not, you don't need to do that. It's not necessary. And I think, well, I feel better if I do, you know? Like if they put out a book, I try to read the book. And the reason is, and here's one of the, one of the moments of this podcast that illustrates my point on this. There's that line in the, um, in the song, oh, maybe you can remember, about that where Mark Farner sings, I got, I got brown stains in my underwear. And uh, what's the, it's Girls Go Crazy. What's the name Office of the song? Girls in the World Beware, I think. That's it, yes. The album. Yes. Um, there's. I believe it's the song of the same name. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, when I heard that, I just thought, oh my gosh, that's gold. Who has the balls to put that in a song? You know what I mean? And so my, my, my uh, advice to any podcaster out there the clues are in the music. If you listen to the music, and whether it's listening for Bruce Thomas's bass parts, or Mark Farner's weird lyrics, or Richard Lloyd's guitar solos, or whatever it is, the clues to inform a really interesting conversation are always in the music. That's the best place to start. So that's a little bit of uh, advice I had. Are you a Grand Funk fan, Yan? Actually, yeah. And... Um- I'll tell you a story about that one. When I when I was working for Learjet, uh, I had I was talking to one of the, one of the ladies that worked in telephony at the time, and she was surprised I even knew who they were, given the mm-hmm. time frame of the band, the band's big stuff, and that they're an American band, and I'm from Scotland, but I knew who they were. I knew some of the hits. They were they were nice. really surprised at that. That's great. Yeah, they were... Oh, go ahead, Brad. I was just going to say, I think a lot of people don't realize just how big Grand Funk World was in, in their day. And that even predates uh, where, where an American band is being a hit. When they were still the three-piece, their first three or four records, they were huge. They were like a band of the, the people. Critics hated them, but they were just... Uh, they were selling out arenas across the country. They were the biggest band in the country for a while there. And then, then they had their big hit single, but they were, you know, it was a different time, you know, right. FM radio, um, and all of that. But grand funk was, was really huge. Um, not necessarily important, mm-hmm. but really big. And, you know, one of the things you got into to him with, was rock and roll hall of fame. And, you know, I, I get it. You can, everyone has their pet peeves or their pet mm-hmm. picks is why isn't this guy in the rock and roll? How come that person's in, but this person isn't? But, and, you know, I'm not sticking up for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one way or the other, but mm-hmm. I do think there's a difference between between being super popular and being super successful and being important. And I don't know that you can really argue that Grand mm-hmm. Funk Road is important. They're important to me 
one of the probably the first dozen albums I had was their second live album called Caught in the Act, which is still an album I, I love to death. It's just a great live record mm. back in the day when live records were all the rage, right? Frank yeah. It's Alive and Kiss Alive and all those things really changed the market for live records. And so everyone put out a live record and they had one previous to that, which I'm not that crazy about, but that record was great. So they're yeah. super important band to me, but mm-hmm. I don't think in the grand scheme of things that you could say that, that they were important in history. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I would be perfectly fine if they were in the Hall of Fame, but I get why they're 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 not. I don't think you can look back at the history of of rock and say here's a major impact mm-hmm. that Grand Funk had. Uh, they didn't change the sound of the music. They didn't direct it in any particular way, but they were hugely successful. You gotta gotta give that. I don't think people realize just how big that band was at their peak. I agree. Um, earlier this morning. Eric Miller and Paul Underwood and I recorded a foreigner six pack. You know, Eric's been doing all these six packs on the Paws and Sods network and foreigner is in sort of a similar boat, REO Speedwagon, Boston, a lot of those American rock bands of the seventies. My, and what I realized in getting ready to record this foreigner one, anyone who listens to that is going to, it's, you're going to hear me say the same thing here, which is that I think, First of all, it always seems to be like the rock academics or intelligentsia, and I always summarize all of those with just Rolling Stone magazine. They're always looking for someone who was countercultural or had a hint of rebellion or were little guys or were oppressed, anyone that they could fight for. And those bands, Foreigner and Grand Funk and REO and whatever, were never counterculture. They were always middle of the road. They were populist. They were like examples. And you and I have <laughs> argued about this. This might even come up later that, uh, they were examples of the best that rock had to offer at that time. And so maybe there's a, maybe it's, that makes them too safe and the rock and roll hall. Of Fame, now I don't care if bands go in the rock and roll hall of fame or not either. It's more fun, something fun to discuss and debate. And at this stage, that it's like getting into any other Hall of Fame where it's an it's a a token of the importance of an artist, of someone's artistry. And for better or worse, that's the token we have and we measure people by these days. And so if you're not going to, this is my same argument with Bon Jovi, a band I don't care that much about, but who are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'm okay with that because if you aren't going to celebrate the biggest bands of an era or of a generation, then what's the point? You know, yes, maybe they didn't influence a million people, but they sold millions of records. They pleased a lot of people. They put out quality rock that was in keeping with the rock. It was the best that that generation had to offer at that time. Why not celebrate that? You know, if it made people happy, that's kind of my feeling on stuff like that. Anyway, that's uh, that's a lot on Grand Funk, but it uh, it sparks all these other conversations. Sure. Um, I was going to. I loved his story, Don's stories about um, the plane f- flights, um, those kind of hair-raising white knuckle <laughs> plane f- flights, and you really just you realize like how I mean, there's still tons of money being generated, but at the same time, a lot of these shows in the '60s and the '70s were done so haphazardly that they would never happen today. I mean, how many rock stars have we lost in? plane crashes and so true yeah and and you just these guys pull out these stories about being on the flights with the 
pilots yeah. are probably drunk or stoned or both and, and flying through lightning storms and the planes dropping, you know, a thousand yeah. feet. And, yeah, just, I mean, yeah, just, just what a time, right? What a time. Yeah, no but, kidding. It's funny you mentioned that specifically. They were here. So Denver every year has this thing called Taste of Denver, and it's a three-day weekend. I think it might even be Labor Day weekend. And uh, it's every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever it is, there's a bunch of big-name bands come and play for free. And the first night was 70s night, and it was going to be Grand Funk Railroad, Cool and the Gang, and KC and the Sunshine Band. I have seen Cool and the Gang before, and they were great, but I'd never seen KC or Grand Funk. And so I contacted their publicist and Max Carl, who we've had on the show and is their lead singer now, and said... Uh, Max and I have been meaning to meet up one of the times they're in Denver and they haven't been here since he's been on the show. And so I said, well, let's, you're coming, let's meet up this point, this time. And so they told me where to meet them. And then they ended up canceling because of Dorian, that uh, hurricane or whatever that was going through Florida. And a couple of those guys live in Florida, so they couldn't fly over here for the show. So I didn't get to see them after all, unfortunately. Yeah, I would have liked it. Uh, okay, after Grand Funk, we go to Randy Jacobs. Now, let me tell you a quick story about Randy. Randy Jacobs, his publicist, who I have a great relationship with, co- contacted me and said, what do you think about Mindy Bear and the Bone Shakers? I'm like, look, I'm not a blues guy. Min- isn't Mindy Bear like a like some soft rock or ja- ja- new jazz saxophone player? That's not really my thing at all. She's like, no, the guitarist in, her- in that band is Randy Jacobs. So I... I'm like, I think I'm pretty sure I know that name. And I look it up and he's done all this other stuff that interests me. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll talk to him about that. And as usual, when you talk to these kind of session, not that he was a session guy, he was bigger than that, but these guys that get called in to contribute to so many different people, it almost always leads to great stories. And luckily he was one of those people. And I've always been really curious what the was not was story was. They were sort of this super group made up of all these weird parts that shouldn't fit together, and yet they do. Brad probably hates Was Not Was, but that's okay. I understand. Um, <laughs> do not. Okay, good, good. I'll drop it eventually. Anyway, um, so I just thought that would be a really interesting story to hear how that came about, and then all the other things he's done. Not a ton of fireworks in that in that conversation, but some great music. And I want to say, I think it's really fascinating. This guy who played with R&B legends like Michael Henderson and Ray Parker Jr., went on to then play with people like Paul Kelly and Bonnie Raitt. I mean, Andy's a black guy. I mean, not to generalize here, but there's not, I don't envision black guys playing guitar with Paul Kelly, of all people, you know? But he did, and I just think that's a real testament to his wide array of talent and ability, you know? We only really focused on the alternative rock stuff in this conversation, but he's, there's all this jazz and R&B stuff out there. The guy's really talented. What did you think, Yan? I actually ended up buying the Mindy Abraham album on the back Good. of that conversation, and it is great. It is. It is. Oh, it is awesome. Yeah. It's not the smooth jazz thing that I thought it was going to be. It's a legitimate blues rock band, and I got to see him when he was here. And uh, yeah, blues rock is your thing. It's a really great album. He's a true hired gun um, in the in the best possible way. You know, he's. Yeah. I really liked when he was talking about, and I think you asked him the question: is why does somebody hire Randy versus other people? I mean, just in talking about, well, you, you, they hire you to be you, right? You bring yourself in, 
Um, and that's just, that's a true, you know, hired gun is, mm -hmm. is I mean, the whole idea of a hired gun is right. <laughs> They're just really good at what they do. He's yeah. played on, done so much great work. I loved it when he would, he would sing. <laughs> yeah. And sing his parts, you know, oh, that part, when they do that, he just seems like a real go with the flow kind of guy, yeah, just yeah. both career wise. And even in the course of the, the interview, just, um, you know, he, you, you gotta be unflappable to be that guy who can one day play a session with, you know, an R and B act next day with a rock act next day, do a pop thing, you know, probably mm -hmm. soundtracks and all the other kind of things. You just gotta be. You know, nothing phases you, right? You're just mm -hmm. you're just a pro down to the core, and he's really that kind of guy. And and I love the uh, Madonna versus Ozzy story <laughs> in there too. That was that. Can you imagine? Okay, we can't get Madonna. Let's get Ozzy. Like, right. you know, <laughs> right? not two things that I would necessarily prefer, no. but just no. interesting to imagine that song is out there with Madonna instead of Ozzy. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah, good. I'm glad. I liked him, too. There was a lot more to that story than I thought there would be, and so I was glad I ended up doing it. All right, quickly, Robert LaRoche from The Size. We did a quick promo mode with him. That that EP he put out, A Thousand Shades, that's my, uh, that's my favorite recording of the year so far. I just think it's beautiful, and um, I was really flattered. I saw him posting on Facebook that he had new music coming out, and I thought, man, I hope he... I hope he tells me about it and sure enough he contacts me and says john i got a new album coming out and i really value your opinion and i just thought wow how i'm i'm a i'm a nobody who often does these things in my underwear in my home in denver and this guy i really respect wants he respects my thought on this you know that blows my mind so anyway i wanted to give back to robert because that album is great i really liked it you guys have opinions about it? Were you aware of him or did you get turned on to the music at all? Uh, I wasn't super familiar with his work, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice record, man. There's some good things on there. Good. Okay. Yeah, oh, I, I enjoyed that one, that promo. Because his music is really good. Good. I thought so too. I was glad we were able to help. Hopefully. Some people got turned on. Yeah, um, and I have um, I have no problem with you doing the, the promo mode things. Really? I get the feeling that you have a certain discomfort with it being too salesy or something. But to me, it's kind of of a piece of the whole show, right? Because kind of the show is about people who had their taste of success. And then what do they do for the rest of their career? How do they make a living? Where do they go from there? And well, this is part of it, right? This is what they're doing today. So I, you know, I love to, to, to hear what, what those guys are up to today. Cause a lot of it is really good and there's no vehicle to get yeah. that kind of music out to people in, in today's world. It's, it's too much for everyone to filter through, right? It's, um, Nobody can sit there and possibly listen to all the new music because there's just too much of it. So yeah. go ahead. Promo all you like. Good. Thank you for and saying any, that. Yeah. Any yeah. way you can get this stuff out to, to other people is, is a good thing. I mean, mm -hmm. if you, you look at this, you know, the streaming services, the likes of Spotify, the artists are getting diddly squat from mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. I know. I um, And you nailed it, Brad. I, I, I mean, the, the we call these promo mode as an inside joke because when I was asked back in the a while back, what kind of interviews do you not like to do? I would say it was when people were in promo mode. 
and they weren't being introspective. They were pro promoting whatever their newest thing is. I get kind of bored with that. And I have, it is, you're right. It has been difficult for me to find a right, a good balance with these things of allowing them to promote their new thing, but making it just slightly more meaningful or adding a layer or two that to then just, you know, prom sheer promotion, you know, blind promotion that does, it feels too salesy to me on the, the plus side, though, is that I'm emotionally invested in a lot of these people who want to come on and talk about it. I love them. That's why they've been on the show before. So I want to be very supportive of them. I'm just I I hope this is a good venue of doing that. So thanks for saying that, because that that's a thing that kind of niggles in the back of my mind sometimes where I feel like I'm I'm being too salesy. But I, I really do believe in these people, especially this one. I really like that EP. I, I think um, the show's are those kind of shows are, are both valuable and uh, I think they're, they're an important part of, of what you're all about on the hustle. So thanks. Keep, keep coming. Okay, good. Thanks for saying that. Uh, okay. Robbie gray with modern English. Um, I did not necessarily set out to promote the alarm modern English gene loves Jezebel tour that went, that just happened, but it worked out that way. I got to talk to all three of those people in a short amount of time. Robbie Gray, I uh, now everyone knows I met with you. I thought it would be interesting to hear about the rest of his uh, his story. And he had been on a lot of these interviews. <laughs> a, a common theme here is that Steve Cooper of the Cooper Talk podcast. He and I share a lot of like guests and email. You know, oh you you are you interested in talking to so and so? Here's their publicist's email. You should. I'm going to talk to them. You should do it too. And we do that back and forth. So we have a lot. There's a lot of crossover recently. And he talked to Robbie recently and he was saying he's actually kind of a mellow guy, but he's nice and interesting. And I noticed that when I talked to him, it was some interviews just don't need to go very long. You kind of say everything there is to say in about 40, 45 minutes. But what was really great about him, I thought, was that the interesting part was when we started talking about like football, especially and his, how he was into the soccer teams. And those are his heroes, his football players, not so much other other uh, musicians or rock stars and what kind of music he was liking. It was like once the formal interview was over and we started more of the small talk, it actually kind of blossomed, I thought, into something even more interesting. Come to find out he's got a second house in Thailand and that I think he said his wife is Thai because of the success of having written Melt With You. You know, he can do whatever he wants. And uh, so that I thought that was a kind of a unique angle to this guy that we may not have gotten otherwise. And when that concert came around, he thankfully put me on the list. I got to go see the show. And I emailed him ahead of time and was like, when do I, when should I plan on meeting you? Do I come in before or after or what do you want me to do? And he said, afterwards, I'll be at a merch table and let's talk then. So I talked to the merch guy. Now the merch table is, anyone could go to the merch table. You didn't have to be the VIP, quote unquote, that I was. And um, so I was really in the same boat with a hundred other people that were waiting at the merch table to see him. He came up, he was there signing things. I said, hey, Robbie, I'm John Lamro from The Hustle. We were emailing, oh yeah, hey. And I said, can I get a picture or something? He said, yeah, let me talk to these people first. Well, he spent the entire break between his set and the alarm talking to people and I never saw him again. So I didn't actually get to meet him or get a picture, but at least I got in for free to see the show. Uh, how do you feel about modern English, Brad? Um, you know, it's, it's, they're okay. Okay. That's what I, interesting. He's one of the rare, uh, financial successes that you've had 
on your show. And even then, it's interesting that they didn't make money until much later. I think he said it's only been in recent years that the money has rolled in, partly because of, I don't know, bad decisions and blowing it all on stupid things early on. But yeah, you know, it's one of the few people who actually came out on top, beat the system, so to yeah. speak. But he seemed like a really unassuming guy. I, I like that. Um, I liked his story about falling through the stage and just his head st- sticking out of the stage. That <laughs> was right. that was great. Um, yeah. And I I do wonder sometimes sometimes you ask questions and you frame it in that context. Like I don't know if they have Seven Elevens in Europe mm-hmm. or or England. Maybe Jan, do you guys have Seven Elevens over there? No, we don't have 7-Elevens, but there's all sorts of stuff similar, kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah. A, a, a big gulp is very specific to 7-Eleven. So when, when you asked him, what are your favorite things to do when you're on the road? Getting a big gulp at the truck stop? <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, if you don't know what a big gulp is, that that question could mean a whole different. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to be super self-conscious. Yeah, I was wondering if you really knew what a big gulp was because um, it could could take that a whole different way. Oh, okay. I'm I'm sure in Thailand, a big gulp is a whole nother thing. That's probably true. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay, good. I will try and curb that. Thanks, Thanks, Brad. See, this is why we do this. This is great advice. I need to be careful who I mention a big gulp to. Um, really large soda might be a better question. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, Okay. <laughs> I'll try I, that. I knew how big Gulp was. Yeah, I figured he had toured America so much that he would know, but, you know, I don't know. You know, just in case he doesn't, you're right. What What are you insinuating here, John, asking me about a big Gulp? That means it's totally truck. something else. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Watch out those truck stops, man. Yeah, oh, that's true. That Ooh, that adds an either another layer of weirdness to this whole thing. Uh, do you have any strong feelings about modern English, uh, Jan? Oh, I really, you know, I like that stuff. So that's going to have to go on my to-buy list as well. Yeah. Slowly creating a rather large to-buy list. <laughs> I thought he was maybe a tad disingenuous about writing other songs that were not like Melt With You. Um, he kind of kept saying, well, we could never write another song like that. And well, we didn't try to, well, I think a lot of that stuff sounds very much mm-hmm. like they were, they were going back to that. Mm-hmm. Well, but I would can understand why you'd be a little defensive you know, mm-hmm. about, about that. Yeah. There, I know of at least two songs that I think we played them on there that are, um, very, very similar in style and mood to melt with you. Yes. But I understand, you know, yeah, especially back then you need another hit, you know, they're desperate. They're starving for hits. And like you said, it's not until later on when that song ends up in a Burger King commercial or whatever, where you start making enough money that you don't, you don't care about that kind of stuff so much. So, you know, all these other songs I'm writing aren't hitting. Let me see if I do a slight variation on melt with you, if we can get some of that juice back. Yeah. Um, And so much pressure from the record companies um, and the A&R guys and, you know, all these kind of weaselly people to mm -hmm. push you from doing what you really want to do because they, they got to have their pound of flesh out of it. Right. Yeah. So I, I know I, I got it. Yeah, it's true. Okay. 90 soundtracks with Noel Fogelman. It's always fun to do those. Those are just sort of fun. He and I liked a lot of the same music. We've had a lot of the same people on our shows 
we do these countdowns. We did 80s. Now we've done 90. We did part one of the 90s. Part two will be out. He and I recorded another one. You'll love this, Brad. We recorded our top 10 favorite Yacht Rock songs uh, the other day. I I don't expect you, Brad, to listen to some of these. I understand if you just delete them outright. So, But listen, they're fun for every, me to do. I listen to every show you do, John. Well, thank you, Brad. I so, always, seriously, I always, even acts that I don't particularly care about, you still learn things. You, know, you yeah. still learn things about the business. You... Uh, there's always some interesting nugget in, in every show, even if it's not, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go and buy the album, but mm-hmm. to hear the guy's story, every, every one of these guys and mm-hmm. girls have yeah. interesting stories that so you can't be in this business for any length of time without accruing some kind of interesting history. So, yeah, I agree. What were you going to say? Yeah. I was going to say favorite yacht rock stuff. Did you have Bertie Higgins? Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. So. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Key Largo will make a, make an appearance on my list actually. Yeah. Good question. Uh, okay. Kip winger from winger. This one, uh, boy, I have, this is another example of how wrong I am. I, first of all, I've been wanting to get Kip on for years because I find him more. I know that people, you know, he's this metal god and he's beautiful and he was in Playgirl and he writes 17 and all these hair metal things. But as was clear in our interview, there's so much more going on with him. And I wanted to really showcase that. And I reached out to him back when Fiona was on early on, about three years ago, and uh, I never heard back. And then, thankfully, Steve Cooper had uh, got through to him somehow and he was coming on Cooper Talk and he said, are you interested in Kip? And I was like, absolutely. I've been trying to find him forever. I took his time slot and he took mine because of our schedules and Kip made it easy that way. At the time, Kip was actually here in Denver. He was visiting his dad in the hospital and it wasn't good when we were talking. But the part that didn't end up in the actual interview was that him like walking up to his hotel room, which he was staying in while he was here visiting his dad in the hospital. And then I think shortly after his, his brother ended up dying like a couple of weeks later. Really sad. But anyway, I was sure that that one was not what people would want to hear. I thought, I blew it on this one. I uh, People are going to want to hear all the rock, hard rock, heavy metal stuff. And we spent half our time talking about his classical stuff, which really interests me. Um, I like classical, but I'm more interested. I was excited about watching him be excited about talking about it. And I wanted to let him have that moment. And I thought people aren't going to like this. And thankfully, I got a lot of really good feedback on it. So once again, it was one of those where I'm wrong. You know, I'm sure something's going to die a death and it ends up being one that people really like. So it sounds like I think you liked it a lot, Yan, because you um, you felt pretty strongly about it, right? Oh, yeah, that that was great. I mean, his his rock stuff was good back in the day, but. I really like his classical work. It's good. It's going on my buy list. You have any history with Winger, Brad? No, not really. I'm not. I'm not a, a hair metal guy. But again, it was. I thought it was a really interesting conversation. I think if I was a fan, I, I would find it fascinating and kind of rewarding to hear like that this guy actually is. He's not just a pretty face. He's like a genuine talent. You know, you can't fake that stuff. That classical. Mm-hmm stuff that takes real um real musicianship um 
So Thanks. yeah, I thought it was a really, really interesting interview and, a, and an interesting guy. Good. I thought I, I was worried. Plus he's a, he was a really mellow guy and he was a little bit of a rambler. And I just was, I'm like, Oh no, people are not going to, they're going to be, I'm always afraid that like the decibel geek people are going to come after me. Like, wow, here's John. He's tried to play in our playground and he failed. And it's obvious because look at this, how terrible this episode was. I ha always have that like in the back of my mind that all those guys are just going to come after me like a mob. And um, thankfully that didn't, that didn't happen, luckily. So maybe I'm probably way overthinking it. Also, I want to say- I'm with Brad on that actually, John. You what? I'm with Brad on that actually. You know, having that ability to switch from one genre to another is uh, it's really good. Yeah. I agree. He, his, he, his, his talent is, is definitely there to see. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was pretty clear that he was really getting off on having all that time to talk about his classical stuff because he probably doesn't get to do that very often. So I, I was glad I was OK with it. I just was afraid I was going to take heat for it. Luckily, I didn't. In fact, a lot of people I hear from a lot of people. Yeah, and you probably see this, too. We'll get our messages on Facebook or whatever. Like you guys are on a roll lately. And it's funny I, that people feel that way because I feel like <laughs> I feel I, I only see the things that didn't go as well as I wanted them to. You know, oh, I wanted more out of that one and it didn't get to the level of greatness that I thought it could be. So I really appreciate when people say that. And I, as usual, I always am afraid the opposite is happening. Anyway, uh, the Nevison deep dive of heart was, uh, and I, I mean, all I can say about that is that I just consider myself so lucky that Ron Nevison talks to us, Yan. I mean, this guy's a, a legend, and he gives some of his time to us. Can you believe that, you know? Uh, well, that was, that was incredible. And just to end, I'm going to go first on your question, if you don't mind, about the oh. 80s heart versus 70s heart. I like stuff like Barracuda, but I'll take some of the 80s stuff over that. But I do need, I do have to agree with some of what Ron said about the way the sisters felt during that time frame. And if I'm, if I'm th saying it, my favorite cover and, and back off of their albums is probably Private Edition. It looks classy. Yeah, we, um, you and I got into this over email a little bit, Brad. How do you feel about uh, this? Well, it's probably no surprise that I, I'm much more partial to the 70s stuff. Um, I, to me, Heart in, at that point was a, a band, right? You had Ann and Nancy, you had Roger Fisher, Steve Fossen on bass, Howard Lease on guitars and keyboards, Michael DeRozier on drums. Maybe I'm one of the few people who can actually name <laughs> members of Heart from those early albums. But they were a band at that point. Uh, Fisher left in 79, I think, and Fawson and DeRozier left in 82. And then it really became, you know, Howard Lee's hung around. But it was it was not a, a band of sort of equals. Because um, mm -hmm. Roger Fisher was super important uh, in, on those early records. And, and Howard Lee's, when they, he kind of came in, was like the last guy to join the band. But he was brought in specifically for his multi-instrumental talent. And, so that to me, that makes those 70 records, 70s records more unique, more distinctive because they, there was, a, you know, only a band can make a particular sound. Once it becomes one or two people in a lot of session guys, 
music just does tend to become a little bit more generic sounding I, mm -hmm. I think uh, interchangeable because a lot of the musicians are interchangeable but when you've got a, a band that's been forged on the road hundreds of gigs under the belt they have a sound mm -hmm. and and that to me is captured more on the earlier records but that's not to say that the 80s records are bad I think they're they're really good for mm -hmm. that kind of stuff I just prefer the earlier records because I don't think you can mistake songs like the little queen for any band other than mm. than heart mm. okay that makes sense when when you and I were emailing about this my the thing that the kind of bee that I had in my bonnet is that well you were saying that you know in the 80s if you were to take uh Ann's vocals off there they could have been any rock band of the 80s right you know, yeah, it could have I, been I do feel that way I think if you took a lot of the tracks from from that Neverson produced album and uh, took Ann's vo vocals off and tried to figure out what band is this. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could tell. Mm -hmm. I think if you took uh, Dog and Butterfly or Little Queen or Barracuda or you know any Dreamboat Annie, any of those tongues songs, and took Ann's voice off, there's still a distinctive heart sound to those records that's not there on the on the later period stuff. And I'm that's that's not saying that they're bad records i just don't mm -hmm. think they're as you unique as their original crafted sound mm -hmm. yeah i um i think that's a really good point i don't hear the uniqueness even in the 70s stuff that you quite do like i think i said in our email i, I that you take her vocal off this off barracuda or whatever and you've got probably fog hat or something like that you know but this is the difference of where we grew up and what we were most tuned into in our formative years, you know, I, but I, I agree with you, you know, you take Ann off there and you put Jimmy Jameson's voice from survivor or Mickey Thomas or something. And, uh, it's the same. It's not, you know, that's not uniquely heart other than her voice and maybe some dynamics maybe, you know, in the sound or whatever, but right. yeah, I'm with it. I think, I think, I think interestingly though, that makes that record more of a producer's album than almost an artist's record. So interviewing the producer for that record, it's a very interesting conversation. And some of my favorite episodes that you do are the ones with the producers. I'm just, yeah. I'm kind of a production nerd. So I really love to, to hear those guys, their, their approach to it for everything from the pre-production up to mm -hmm. the marketing of the record, how much they have or have or don't have to do with those things. Um, it's I just love those conversations. And Ron's just a really interesting guy. So much work, yeah, under his name. I know. I wish that I, I was. Uh, I texted um, Paul Underwood and Pat Francis, and I said, "What if the three of us just quit our jobs and we we went and camped out at Ron Nevison's house for like ninety days, and every day we just record him." telling the story of some album he worked on at like it's a you know like it's a series or it's an audio book or something like that and we just put that story out there wouldn't i mean he's the the stuff that is just floating around in his head all these great albums from thin lizzy and the who and zeppelin to the more latter-day stuff i just i just like i said i just think i'm we are really lucky that a guy like that gives us some of his time. He doesn't have to do that, you know? He could charge for that, and people would pay 10 bucks to come hear him tell those stories in an auditorium somewhere. And he gave us some of his time. I'm humbled by that. 
Well, if you did something like that, you could put it in a book and give him a cut. <laughs> That's what that was the thinking, you know. Just go sit at the hem of Ron Nevison's garment and record his every word for a summer or something like that. Sounded really interesting to me. Um, okay, another produ- producer, Dave Bascom. This is one that I'm guessing, and I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. He worked on a lot of music that means a lot to me. I, this is probably not as much in your wheelhouse, Brad, but this guy, like I said, pound for pound, the amount of music that he has had his fingers on probably matters more to me than just about anyone we've ever had on the show. Now, some in, in the, some of those situations, he was the producer. In some cases, in most cases, actually, he was more of the mixer or the engineer. It's always hard to know because the producer is more hands-on and the mixer and the engineer is kind of off in a room working by themselves sometimes, sometimes not even without with the band there. Um, there were a lot of questions that I asked him that ended up getting cut out because they didn't lead anywhere. But this guy, if you paid attention to new wave music like I did in the 80s, this guy is a legend. His name is on some of the biggest, most important music of your life. And uh, so, again, I was really grateful and lucky that he gave us some of his time. Can I tell you something really interesting here, John? Yeah, please. So if you do a Google search for Dave Bascom, it comes up, there's about 160,000 results. And number six... So before even Wikipedia or anything else, Dave Bascom on the hustle. Really? Yes. Yes. yes that is great. Yeah. He posted, no, uh, Clark Datchler of Johnny Hates Jazz posted on Facebook recently uh, that he was in the studio with his old friend Dave Bascom working on new music. I just thought, man, I love both you guys. I can't believe this is, my worlds are colliding, you know? Um, so Sounds give like us your- promo mode. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does sound like a promo mode. Do you have strong feelings about that kind of new wave stuff, Brad? Um, you, well, you know, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. But again, um, anytime you talk to these engineers and producers, I just find those conversations fascinating. Just, um, just really interesting. So, yeah, I dug it. Good. Okay. And a shout out, as always, to Paul Underwood. He um, he produced that episode. He We're lucky to have him step in once a month and kind of help us out. And because of that, I tend to give him the ones that need the most production. Cause Yan, as he just said, it's busy. And when he's, when Yan's trying to do these every week, if there's one that requires more work than others that I can take off his list or off his plate and give it to Paul to work on over the course of a month, all the better. And so thank you, Paul, for being willing to help us out occasionally. I'm really grateful for that. Oh Gary yeah, he did a great he did a great job on that, by the way. He did. He did. He does a great job on all of these. We're really lucky to have him. Uh Gary Clark from uh, Danny Wilson and the song Mary's Prayer. That song I think is just one of the most undeniably likable songs ever. Uh and it's one of those songs that I don't know people I don't think people recognize it by name or by the band or anything, but when you play it for them and they hear that chorus, it, it immediately warms their heart. Oh, Yes, I love this song. And uh, the fact that he did the work on Sing Street, which is one of the best music-related movies of the last, I don't know, ever, actually, and that soundtrack is him, I just was really amazed that the same guy did all of that and that he gave us some of his time. And he was a fellow Scott. Yeah. Wait, I'm, uh-huh. next time I'm in town, we got to go visit him. Oh, Dundee's only 45 minutes away. Okay. We'll go meet him in a pub like we did Graham Skinner from Hipsway. And just spend yeah. some time 
hearing the stories, you know. And Andy Summer, if you're listening, for a quick, which sheet will you be at? <laughs> you have a. Do you remember the song Mary's Prayer, Brad? I don't think I had ever heard that song. Really? Um, and I found it completely forgettable. <laughs> wow! I am gobsmacked. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did nothing. Okay. I mean, I thought the conver- again, the conversation was really interesting, sure. um, but the song, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that I know you made a big deal out of like, who doesn't love this song? And my <laughs> uh, wife, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> my wife and I were in the car, gone our way to or from Rock and Pod, I think, when we were listening <laughs> to that episode, or, or maybe our trip to Pittsburgh before then. We were looked at each other and like. Uh, us so we never neither of us had ever heard that song but just not on our radar okay okay oh that's funny wow i love that you're telling me this because to some of us that's just like such a warm light likable you know sweet little ditty and uh the fact that it didn't even make your radar at all that's good to know this is why music is i i will never forget brad when you and i were hanging out and you were saying uh, I don't remember what book it was that you quoted, but you said, you know, such and such book s- states that music doesn't actually exist. It's just reverberations happening in people's minds. You know, they're hearing whatever they're hearing inside of them, inside their own heads, you know? They're creating the noise, really. And I thought that was, I've never thought of it that way, but that to me sort of speaks volumes as to why some things really resonate with people and sometimes they don't, you know? What book was that? This is Your Brain on Music by Daniel Levitin. It's, it's a really good book. I recommend that to anyone. Either get the physical book or get the audio book. They're both out there. Well worth a listen if you're a music fan at all. But yeah, the idea being that there's not a ton of difference between the sound of your car engine or your refrigerator running and of a guitar. They're just vibrations. But But what is appealing to our ears versus not appealing what comes across as music so much of that is actually what happens in your brain and not so much what actually exists in the real world in terms of these just vibrations really it's all just vibrations but but some of them are incredibly appealing to us and and then within that some things are more appealing to particular individuals than others it's it is all very interesting and so much of it as you said before is so much of it is dependent on what you grew up listening to right the music that you listened to from i don't know let's say the time you were in seventh grade till the time you graduated college is no music that you will ever hear in the rest of your life (laughs) will have the kind of impact that the that that music did during Mm -hmm. that phase of your life and that's true for 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 all of us it has something to do with our the aging process and growing up and yeah just all that stuff is pretty pretty fascinating to me yeah yeah i um i think about that a lot now um okay from there we go to jay Aston of gene loves jezebel i have to say this was probably my least favorite interview that i've done this year one of my least favorites ever and um and that is not a knock on jay um sometimes i talk to people and they're difficult or they're boring or whatever i i will take weird or psycho over boring any day boring is the thing that i can't that's the one that depresses me the most this one it was just unfortunate that we couldn't really get past the brother issues now i know i recognize though that the fact that we couldn't is its own story that's 
that's the story of Jima's Jezebel is these two brothers who cannot talk about anything else. When I asked him about, you know, I heard you re you worked in the Apple store and that sparked a whole story about his brother again. And at the end, I was like, so did you work in the Apple store? Oh, yeah, yeah, let me go back. Yeah, I did. And I, um, I just thought, oh, man, this one, this one was kind of exhausting. It was a little exhausting to me. Having said that, he, um, some people love that one. I got a lot of really good feedback on that, which shocked me again. And he's coming back through town here in Denver in a couple of weeks, opening for the Chameleons, who are one of my favorite bands of all time. Remember them, Yan? We had their yeah. drummer on here, and he died, unfortunately, shortly after. And he's opening for them uh, in a couple of weeks, and he put me on the list. So I'm going to get to go see that show. But anyway, do you have any... What did you, you had a... I think you liked that one, right, Yan? Yeah. I, I thought... I mean, it's disappointing to hear family feuds like that. But he's definitely the better voice out of the two. That's Agreed. for sure. And the music was fantastic. Yeah, it was. And Do you have I any stunts? Oh, go I ahead. I had enough interesting stories to make that really worth a listen. Okay, good. Do you have any strong feelings about it, Brad? I was uh, I was an only child, so I'm fascinated by what is this thing with brothers? Yeah. And you've had a few of these guys uh, on the show in the last year or so. That mm -hmm. uh, these feuding brothers, and of course, going all the way back to. Ray Davies and Dave Davies and and the Oasis guys <laughs> that yeah. just fascinates to me like like you know it's like can't live with them can't live without them kind of thing they all start bands and then they are at each other's throats mm -hmm. um, aren't they both out was, was yeah interview were they both out with battling versions of Gene Loves mm -hmm. Jezebel that's just crazy to me yeah um I worked in a record store in the 80s, and, uh, and I was there when, when the first Gene Love Jezebel record came out, and, um, and I liked the record. Oh, good. Okay. So, um, yeah, it was good stuff. Good. Just, okay. just this thing with brothers, man. Being an only child, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't, I just don't understand it. But. Yeah, I, um, I think about it a lot because my brother Steve and I are like best friends now. But there were years where we didn't get along at all. And um, the thought of having to go on tour with him back then, I could feel it. I could see it. But now he's my best buddy. And so I think, well, I can't think of, there are very few people in this world I would rather go on tour with than my brother Steve. But maybe there's just something inherent about close quarters over long periods of time that it just, uh, it, it would ruin it. You know, it's probably a good thing that he and I aren't rock stars because we might might ruin our relationship. I don't know. On the, but some people can keep it together and some can't. I don't know why. It's so weird. Okay, so let me let's talk about Dolette McDonald for a minute. So here's the deal. Putting out these episodes, like which ones are going to come out and then which one is going to come out after that and what ones have I been hanging on to for a long time and which ones do publicists need to come out by a certain time and all that stuff. To me, it's all a giant puzzle, you know? Uh, okay, this these three need to be out quickly. Uh, after that, I may as well, I could either put out the one that I've been hanging on to for the longest, or in this case, I wasn't crazy about the Jay Aston interview, so I need to course correct by putting out what I consider to be one of my very favorite interviews we've ever done, and that's Dolette. I have others that have been sitting around for longer than Dolette, but I need to cleanse my own palate here 
and put out one that really means a lot to me. And so that's what that's what I did there. And that is uh, one of my favorite conversations we've ever had on here. And she's, you know, if you were paying attention to music in the 80s, you probably saw her face, um, you know, singing behind Talking Heads or Sting or whatever. Um, it's not like she has a giant fan base or anything, but the chemistry she and I had was so palpable. I think, I'm guessing anyone who listened could feel it, you know? And her coming out story was so fascinating and she was so forthcoming with stories about, you know, the egos of David Byrne and Sting and why those bands will never get back together and all this kind of stuff. It was it was just a really magical moment for me. There's, a, there's been a about a dozen times since doing this show where when I hang up the phone, I am just floating for a while. I can't believe the experience I just had. And that was one of those times. Were you familiar with her, Brad? Do you remember her at all? Yes, um, but I can't claim to be, you know, super familiar. But it's one of those names that, you know, back in the day when you would, it's such a lost thing now, right? But the idea of reading liner notes, you know, when you get the album and uh, and, and you'd sit and put the record on and, and read the liner notes. And then uh, you'd get the CD and it would be a little smaller. You might have <laughs> I have to look a little closer, but you can still read the liner notes, you know. Um, and so you learned about these people. You you heard about them. You might never really have seen them and know knew who they who they were. You couldn't necessarily identify them by their face, but you just you knew the name, right? Because they were just there. And that was a that was just a fun interview to listen to. Uh, really enjoyed that one. How could you not, right? I mean, just, Thank you. Right. Thanks for saying that. What do you think, yeah? Oh, she was she was awesome, and she had so many good stories. And you you could just tell there was a good working chemistry there between the two of you. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was another one where I just was so grateful. And and I never know. I reach out to people that I just think there might be an interesting story there, and you hope that there's good chemistry. And sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. But we really found a good vibe there and I was really lucky. She was such a neat lady and she, you know, she emailed me a bunch of pictures of like her back in the day. And she's the kind, if I'm ever in Savannah, Georgia, I'm going to call her and we'd probably go out to dinner and it'd be like an old friend. It was just, you just never know what's going to happen in these things. So I was really grateful for her. Um, now going back, speaking, <laughs> going back to what I was just saying a minute ago, John Ford Coley, I had been holding on to that, uh, that interview for about six months. And the reason being is that number one, it needed some work. And so I, uh, I thought it might be better suited to Paul because he could have to take time to try and fix some of the technical issues that were going on within the conversation. His phone line dropped a few times and all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, it was nice. It was a pleasant conversation. It sort of lacked some fireworks, as I say. You know, I, I'm always sort of looking for counting fireworks in any of these episodes. And there weren't a ton in that one. It was pleasant. And so I had been holding on to that one for a while, kind of thinking, well, I, I guess I eventually got to put this one out. That's nothing against him. He was super nice. And I like a lot of that soft rock music fizz. Um, once it came out, I thought, and I thought this is better than I remembered it being. But it... Uh, I needed to wedge something in between Jay and John Ford Coley, and that's where Dolette came in. And so um, I was glad to finally put it out. I hope it kind of reminded people how much they like some of that music. But it wasn't one of my favorites, but it's not his fault. You know, it's just uh, kind of the nature of the beast. Do you have strong feelings about John Ford Coley, Brad? No. 
Okay. <laughs> it's not the kind of music that you have strong feelings about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, they did cover Todd Rundgren's song, so I'll give them that. Good point. That's my favorite song of theirs, too, by the way. Yeah. Okay. You know, yeah. You don't really have to have fireworks for it to be a good interview. I know. That's the thing. That's That's what I, that's why I feel, you know, underwhelmed by some of these because I go in, I really want every one of these conversations to be definitive. I want it to be the story of this artist and that the one-stop shop, you know, everything you need to know about this person is found right here. And we get into some really great stuff. And when they don't reach that definitive level in my mind, then they're not good enough. And I need to get over that because I, they still resonate with a lot of people in spite of that sometimes. And so anyway, that one was perfectly fine. He was a nice guy and there was enough good stuff in there, but it wasn't like major fireworks. Okay, let's talk about Rupert Hines' deep dive. This is another one kind of like with Nevison where I was just shocked that, I'm shocked that I have a relationship with this guy and that he'll talk to us. This one, by the way, Yan, you deserve the MVP on this one. You had to work hard to make this one sound good, didn't you? There was a lot of editing on this one. If I'm honest, I wanted it to be as perfect as, as I could get it. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's amazing, and I aspire to be that good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if pe- people wouldn't have known this from listening to the final product, but before talking about every song, before well, early on he said, you know, I meant to listen to this this album again before we talked and I forgot. So I would ask him about a song and he would sit and listen to it for a while. Okay, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I know what you mean now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we would get into the conversation. And some of that, I I told Yan, I was like, it happens pretty much every time. You're welcome to leave some of that, cut it down, cut it out, whatever you feel like you have the work, the time to do. And he ended up cutting all of it out, and uh, which was fine. But that happened before every song. And there were several times when he, like his phone was gonna die or he needed to take the, I don't remember what it was, like someone comes to the door or get a different microphone or whatever. It was, there was a ton of, and this is not a knock on Rupert. It just, I, this, if I'm saying all this to shine a light on how much hard work Yan does to make these things sound good and presentable. And this is exhibit A. You nailed it on this one, Yan. Are you a fixed fan, Brad? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're one of the bands from the eighties that um, I I don't think gets enough respect these days. I I think they had some really good stuff. I like them. I like that record. Um, I I liked that conversation. I thought it was really interesting. Lots of again, being a producer nerd, he he touched all those buttons. Um, So that that was a really good one. he did a couple of Rush records that I, I would be really interesting to, to hear. Deep dives on those records. Yeah, that was, uh, I it, I was debating actually, I think I even, I think I may have even thrown it out on Facebook once again. If I get, can get Rupert to come back, what do you want to hear? And I think I narrowed it down to Rush, The Fix, Howard Jones, and maybe one other, maybe the Better Off Dead soundtrack or something like that. And um, most of the votes that came back were for the fix. But I'm like you. I mean, I'm glad we covered the fix. He's it's the same with Ron. I mean, I would love to just spend a, devote a year. You know, every month, me and Rupert go into another one of his albums. I mean, number one, I want to spread the wealth and kind of remind people that there's four and a half years of 
archives here and older episodes with people who are also great, but I also don't want to you know, bother anyone too much, you know? But um, yeah, he's, we're lucky that he talks to us. I could see you liking the fix. They probably have, they're not that typical like synthy new wavy stuff that is not really your jam. I could see you being a little more into the fix, Brad. Yeah, just good good songs. Interesting. They had a sound, kind of mm -hmm. a unique sound. Um, great guitar player. Um, yeah, memorable tracks. Good. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, thanks again, Yan. That that's one of your finest. I would say that in the Phil Thorn Alley episode. I know how much work you put into making both of those sound as good as they are. And so, absolute kudos to you. And those are two of our biggest episodes of the year. So thank you for uh, once again for all the work you do. And I will say, as a as a listener, and um, I, I mean anybody who's listened to my show probably could tell that I edit the crap mm -hmm. out of my. So I'm I'm very cognizant of of audio editing. And when I listen to those episodes, I don't I don't feel that they're edited episodes. I, they feel like very flowing conversations, which is a total tribute to to mm -hmm. work that Jan does because they do not feel stitched together it feels completely natural like that's the way the conversation went so when i hear you say boy this one needed a lot of editing it's a it's a surprise to me because they mm -hmm. sound like really natural conversations so great work yeah so yeah. that's that's actually my goal is if you know if somebody's got a you know i want to make the conversation flow and i'll go back to another one if you remember, John, back to uh, the guy that got found by George Harrison. Oh, yeah. Um, Van Eaton. Derek Van Eaton. Yeah, Derek Van Eaton. There was a sentence in that one. I had to actually pull in the individual word level and switch them around to, <laughs> to get it to flow right. Yeah. Oh, man. See, Paul's told similar stories where, you know, a word will drop out of a sentence and he'll have he'll know what it is. And he'll have to go back into the and copy the word and add it to where it fell out of this. Same, the work you guys do, it's amazing. My goal is always for them to sound conversational, too. And my my absolute goal is to give Yan a file that doesn't even need a lot of tightening, you know, and all I, I'll, I'll tell him you do it anyway. It's like you yeah. don't because I'm trying to take work off of your plate so it's like look all you got to do is just plug in the songs that you don't need to tighten this or trim it down at all but i know you go through and cut out all the ums and uhs anyway and so anyway i'm just i'm lucky that we're partners on this yeah because you you do the part that i can't do and uh it me it that's how we've been able to be successful so thank you for this okay robin campbell of ub40 let me talk about this one for a minute UB40 are uh, an all-time favorite band of mine, and I know that there was a time probably in the 80s where it made sense to say that kind of thing, and then in the 90s it became kind of weird to make that statement, but um, I love them, I and I love them for different reasons. I love the early, more political stuff, and I love the kind of, to me, they became sort of chilled out music, you know? It's... Uh, I don't think of it as, as adult contemporary as much as chill music, and I just love them. I have been trying to get Allie Campbell, the former lead singer, who's now off on his own, on here for a while and never heard back. And uh, when I was proposed by their by their publicist to talk to Robin, I was absolutely, I know that I could kill a UB40 interview, unlike most people, because I care. I'm deeply invested. 
And I was so proud of how this one turned out. And he was too. I think he even commented a couple of times on there like, wow, you're a proper fan. You you like the right stuff. That meant the world to me. And we didn't, per I purposely didn't focus on Red Red Wine. I'm sick to death of that song. I imagine he's sick to death of talking about that song. I wanted him to know that my love and fandom went much deeper and broader than that. And so when it came out, I was, and I remember, so it came out the day after Labor Day. And I don't know about you guys, that Monday night before going back to work, I was having a little bit of like a panic attack. Do you guys ever get that on Sunday nights when you know that the weekend's over and you have to go back to work tomorrow and you get that feeling like that just in the pit of your stomach, oh man, I don't, I'm not ready. I don't want to go back to work. You know, that Sunday night. Every feeling. Monday. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying, Brad? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's Monday night because it's Labor Day and I'm starting to get that dark feeling uh, late Sunday night. And it's hard for me to sleep in those situations because I don't want to go to sleep and have Monday get here any quicker. And um, I'm feeling really kind of depressed. And I, and I go in the, everyone's in bed and the lights are out. And so I go and meditate in the living room for a little while to kind of try and calm down. I'm really getting wound up here. And I stop and I think to my, and I say to myself, first of all, look, your new job's not that bad. You really like everyone that you work with everyone's really nice you're good at what you do there's no reason to feel that way about work and so i'm like okay i can i can calm down there and then i think and tomorrow you're going to put out this great episode with ub40 and he's going to love it and their fans are going to go crazy for it and so be excited about that too you have nothing to feel anxious about when i started meditating that and the meditation helped me feel better and i went to bed and then the next day it comes out and I don't, it kind of just sat there. Wasn't a lot of feedback. They finally shared it about a week or two ago. And um, it, <laughs> it it had some nice mark, you know, comments or whatever on Facebook, but the numbers still didn't go through the roof. So anyway, that episode didn't ultimately do what I thought it would do. So it goes in the categories one for me. It was one that meant a lot to me, even if other people don't like it. Now, let me ask you, Brad, scale of one to 10, how much do you hate UB40? I mean, I don't. Uh, <laughs> it's just, it doesn't. Well, you're you know, I would look. Uh, my philosophy is I would rather shine a light on something I love than shout about the darkness, shout into yeah. the darkness. You know, I, I, uh, I'm not a big reggae person to begin with. Um, a little of that goes a long way. And to me, they're, they kind of have like almost like a plastic reggae thing to me. Um, just. I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fan, but look, a lot of people like that stuff. Mm -hmm. Go, go for it. But it's just not my cup of tea. Okay. Okay. I'm, lo I'm looking at the page for the episode right now and it's not done as bad as you'd think. No, I know. I just thought I, I was envisioning, like, remember when that deep dive of, with Matthew Seligman for the Thomas Dolby album came out and Thomas mm -hmm posted about it and retweeted it and it exploded and got like thousands of listens because of his, you know, kind of vote of confidence or whatever. I thought something like that might happen and it really didn't. It made <laughs> maybe another hundred people or so, you know, downloaded it because of their stamp of approval. But ultimately it doesn't matter. I just, my feeling is always that we, we part of the reason we do these is for the fans. You know, if I, if I, I would love to know as a fan of a band that something like this was out there that I could digest of theirs. And, uh, 
I thought that in particular interview was a very fan centric interview. It probably doesn't even make sense or care. No one who no casual fan would care about that one like a fan would. So I thought this was tailor made for a deep UB40 fan. But anyway, it didn't take off, but I'm fine with it. I'm happy with that. Ended up being one of those that's for me ultimately. David Hawes from Catherine Wheel. That's another one that I had. I'm, I didn't mean to, but I had been holding on to that one for about five or six months, too. I love Catherine Wheel. I like a lot of their music. I thought David was a really nice guy. Very mellow. Not, you know, a ton of fireworks or anything like that. But um, still, we got to talk about music that I love a lot. And by the end, when we were kind of talking about some of his favorite records and stuff like that, and his experiences selling records and buying records, I thought all that sounded kind of interesting. Um, I will say it's probably... So uh, the producer of that album is a guy named Tim Palmer, and uh, Tim Palmer and I are going to be doing an interview very soon. And he's done a lot of other work that I love, like Tears for Fears and things like that. But uh, I'm excited. So another producer episode will probably be out by the end of the year, and it's going to be with the producer of that first um, Catherine Wheel album. Uh, I don't know. I have a feeling you probably didn't even know who they were, Brad. Are they your style at all? Oh, I know who they are, but okay. and it's not it's not really in my wheelhouse, so to speak. Um, I thought I thought he seemed most engaged when he was talking about his his record selling mm-hmm. more than when he was actually talking about the, his own music. Um, yeah, so I agree. Um, he has agreed to, or had at the time, agreed to come back on and do a deep dive of that first Catherine Wheel album, Ferment, with me. But I contacted him when the episode came out, and I've never heard back. I don't know if he's not as... Maybe he didn't like me that much, or he's busy, or he isn't on Facebook very much anymore. I don't know. But So he may come back, and we may do a deep dive of that Ferment album. You, I would imagine, Yan, probably really like Catherine Wheel, because I know how much you like Screaming Trees. Not that they're exactly the same, but that's sort of just garagey, gnarly, guitar-heavy alternative rock of the 90s is really your jam. Oh yeah, I like that. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that episode. Yeah, and I thought so. And the music was in that one. Yeah, I love those guys. Um, and I wish Rob Dickinson, the former lead singer, would talk to me. But he, I think I mentioned, he runs this hugely successful Porsche redesign company. They take old Porsches, 911s, I believe, and they completely rebuild them. I saw one of our listeners sent me a link to a show of him going on Jay Leno's garage show or something on YouTube talking about cars as they do so he is way focused on this car business of his he doesn't want he's not going to come back and talk to me okay we only got a couple left real quick uh Chris Carter of Dramarama and the Beatles uh DJ I I thought that one would be fun for people who liked the Beatles we got into Dramarama for a little while and some really interesting things there about the making of the Bands Reunited episode and what really happened behind the scenes, which if you've seen it, kind of makes Chris look like a jerk. It turns out that they fixed that and what was really going on. And then most of the conversation, though, ends up being about the Beatles. I know you're a big Beatles guy, Brad. Did you learn anything in that or find that interesting at all? Um, every conversation about the Beatles is interesting. It, I, I don't think I learned anything I didn't know before, but I, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it's always interesting to hear another Beatles fan talk. It's always amazing. Just the influence of that band. There will be another, never be another band like it. They just influenced 
so many people through the years. Um, he was a really animated storyteller. Mm-hmm. Um, you've had a lot of uh, laconic Englishmen on your show lately. No offense, <laughs> <Kevin>. um, <laughs> but he was. Right. Uh, you know, he 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 really got into it. I mentioned before that I I worked in a record store in my my youth i met my wife actually in in the record store so when he was talking about his history of opening a record store i i dug that the conversation about rodney bingenheimer Mm. it's kind of interesting um you know talent and success don't always equate it's kind of interesting our friend uh B.J. Cramp, just mm-hmm. his most recent episode of his podcast, the Rock and or Roll podcast, features all clips by Rodney. Yeah. So yeah. Um, if anyone wasn't familiar with Rodney, um, go check out B.J.'s latest episode because it's it's kind of fun. Yeah, he doesn't have any particularly great talent as a as a DJ either, but he just seemed to be one of those guys who um, who could who could get people to pay attention to him. And yeah. Yeah, there you go. But that was sort of interesting. Of course, Chris mentioned, I think his exact quote was, um, their band coming out of the, uh, or I think he's coming out of the greatest era of the 60s and 70s into the horrible 80s. As soon as I say that, this is a guy cut from the same cloth as me. I like this guy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I know. I could, I knew uh, that when he said that, I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm gonna have to make sure that I cut out any references to '80s bands that I like in this conversation. I did throw out the Doobie Brothers, which he didn't bite on. Uh, one of our our listeners, Dave Go- David, I should say, I called him Dave once. He got mad. David Gutierrez busted my chops for that. John always throws out the Doobie Brothers. No one ever bites. You're right. I'm always sort of fishing for someone who's gonna love that band as much as I do, and no one does. But um, yeah, I thought Chris is your kind of guy. He likes it old school. You know, he likes the good old stuff. And yep. the 80s were not his period. No. <laughs> yeah. I felt finally a guy for me on the hustle. Yeah. Um, and I can't believe that you don't like Long and Winding Road. You've got so much love for that Mary's Prayer song. And yet <laughs> you can't give the time of day to Long and Winding Road, one of the best ballads ever written. Sometimes, John, I don't <laughs> Just don't understand. Oh, that's a great song. No, I know. I it's now I I don't I think it's one of the worst Beatles songs. Someone else maybe. In fact, you know what? I took my kids to see yesterday that new movie. I took them I took it, them to see it a week or two ago, and the guy in the movie does a version on the piano on there that's really lovely. But their version I just think is so sack sappy and maudlin and goopy and gloopy and. The strings are just all everything is laid on so thick. It, it there's not that much of a difference between that them singing that and like Paul Anka or Frank Sinatra or Barry Manilow or some lounge lizard. It's just gross. That song is just gross to me. But whatever. I don't get it. I mean, yes, the Phil Spector production is over the top, but it's just a, I think it's a great song. So there you go. Wow. We agree to disagree. Yeah, as usual. Um, do you have any strong feelings about Chris Carter? Yeah. Hopefully that one didn't require a bunch of work on your end because like most of it was just us talking about the Beatles. And I deliberately didn't put uh, any Beatles songs in there just to let you have that time, the two of you going back and forth about the Beatles. I wondered. I, I had a feeling, yeah. Okay. I well, thought no, about it. I wondered. I, I as, as I listened through to it, yeah. 
Yeah. As I listened through it, like, no, no, let's just leave it as is. Yeah. I was, I could, I was, I left it up to you. If you want to insert Beatles songs that get brought up in here, you can. If you want to leave it alone, that's fine too. I trust you, whatever you decide. And I'm kind of glad you left it the way that you did. I thought that was better. Okay. Some quickies here just to close out. Uh, we brought Fred Pinot back on to talk about Rico Kasich. I thought that was really nice. It's when you've done, you know, 300 of these or whatever, and you've got people, you know, people who actually know the people, the guy who died personally, and you can actually talk to them for a few minutes about their experience. Uh, it's, uh, it, again, it just, I'm, we're so fortunate, Yan, that we've got, we've built up this kind of, you know, roster of people that we know. And so I was really grateful that Fred came back on and talked to us about Rick from his perspective for a few minutes. That was fascinating to me. And you know, or is it, uh, they weren't best friends. In fact, to be honest, Fred and I talked about it. They, they actually, they weren't enemies, but they kind of butted heads a couple of times, but he didn't want to dwell on that, understandably, since we're paying tribute to Rick. But you know, how lucky are we that we get to pay tribute to Rick Ocasek with a guy who knew him? That's amazing, you know? Um, you know, he got to, to shed some light on the the way Rick influenced the music scene in Boston. It was it was good of him to do that to to share his recollections. I yeah. really appreciated that. Are you a Cars guy, Brad? Yeah, and uh, of course, being born and raised in New England, um, the Cars were huge here growing up, and. Um, there's a couple records from the 70s that every song was a was a hit. You look at those records, they're almost like greatest hits records. And the Cars' first album is one of those records. You recognize every song on that album. It's kind of kind of phenomenal. An another record from right around the same time was the Boston album. Mm -hmm. At least around here, yeah. those, all those tracks got got airplay, um, and that's that in itself is a big achievement. You're lucky, people are lucky to have one hit on a record when you've got eight hits off of one album. That's that really so true. Yeah. Uh, so where, where, where are you based, Brad? Uh, I live in New Hampshire, um, but oh, okay. I grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up about an hour outside of Boston. Yeah, um, I want so that to give... would have been a, that music scene would have been a big influence for you then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although Boston always had a. So sort of a weird thing of like as soon as you got successful, they they hated you. Mm -hmm. You know the people on the scene. You know what I mean? It was it was it was one of those kind of things. Like you know if you were in a if you're in a band if you if you bought a van suddenly you sold out. You know, mm -hmm. um, there was sort of that kind of you know integrity right in quotation marks that. But somehow the cars kind of escaped a lot of that um, just because Rick was pretty uh, enigmatic and. And uh, uh, there's always a lot of love for that mm -hmm. baby. Um, I wanted to mention, and sort of, I, I screwed up. I one of our, so let me give you a little bit of background. When uh, Joe Royland and Eric Miller and I did a six pack of the Cars after Rick passed, we were deciding what songs we were going to play, and Eric chose "Let's Go," and I I emailed him back and just said, "Oh." interesting to pick a Ben Orr song instead of a Rick song. And he's like, yeah, but he wrote it. And um, I didn't care really one way or the other, but I just thought that was an interesting move to play a song that Ben Orr sang at, on a Rick Ocasek tribute episode. Anyway, 
we do the we record that episode and at the very end eric says okay uh, and spontaneously we didn't know this was going to happen let's all pick one more song the first song that came to mind was bye bye love off the first album which is sung by ben orr and so i ended up breaking my own rule on his show then later that same day i think it was i was sending everything to yan for to get this one ready and i because i still had bye bye love on the brain and wasn't really thinking about who sang it i said let's kick it off with bye bye love and then one of our listeners did the same thing to me ah interesting to uh, play a ben or some song on a rick tribute episode so i just want to say i admit i made a mistake but whatever that song is great well, I, I don't even see that as a mistake. I mean, anybody who knows anything about the Cars knows that Rick pretty much ruled that band with an iron fist, that that everything the Cars did was, Rick was all over it. Um, so that's, to me, that's no different than saying, well, Elliot Easton played the guitar solo on that, not Rick. Well, mm. you know, it's it's still in every way yeah. a, a Rick Ocasek song. Uh, I think Ben had a much better voice and I much prefer, well, I don't know, much prefer, but I I like a lot the songs that he sang and I wish Mm -hmm. he sang more of their songs. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, either way, that's Rick Ocasek music all the way. Good. Okay, thanks. I felt a little, like I, like I said, I felt exposed. I kind of blew it on that when I broke my own rule. Uh, Okay, Suburban Underground, I'll just be quick about this. I'm always, again, I love it when I get to talk music with other people. Those guys had me on a couple of years ago. We've been talking about doing something for a while. Um, it's We usually pick some fun topic before. It was a song from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s that we like that we think could have been a hit, and we each, all three of us, picked one. The last one we did was side projects, so bands that we the side projects of bands that we like. And this time I had the idea of playing new music by legacy artists, and it was that uh, Robert LaRoche album that kind of had that in my mind. And so Steve Poshman and I picked songs from legacy artists that, you know, who who out there, what common person out there knows that Animotion has a brand new album out or Deep Blue Something has a brand new album out and that there's stuff on it that's worth your ears and your time. So that's those things are always fun. I don't know if anyone even listens to those all the way through or what, but uh, it's uh, it's always nice to go on someone else's show and to shed some light on people we've had on our show that we liked their music. So do you actually do you listen to those too, Brad? I did. Um, and uh, I think that's along the same lines of the promo mode that, mm-hmm. that it's it's great to show these guys are still making viable music today. Uh, my favorite tracks on that were like the Waterboys track was great mm-hmm. um, and very not the way I typically think of the water boys. So it was really great to hear them kind of get soulful. I also really liked the Nick Hayward track. I thought those were my two standouts. Oh, the Blondie track was my least favorite actually. Yeah. I think mine was too. And I, I don't mind that album and I like Blondie, but that song kind of didn't do much for me on that one. I agree. Yeah. And those guys at suburban underground are probably half hour from where I live. So. I know. <laughs> I thought about, I should have mentioned it when you were here at my house you're sitting in the chair right next to the desk where I record this. And I was briefly on the phone with Steve. And I thought in my entire life, I've only known two people from New Hampshire and I'm talking to both of them right now. That, what are the chances? You know, I've never even been to New Hampshire. I don't even know that I could name three towns in New Hampshire, 
But I, the only two people I've ever known in my whole life, I'm talking to them right now. That, that was crazy. So Funny how things work. Well, we'll have yeah. to get up here sometime. You can come and sit by my side in my studio. <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I would love that. Uh, okay, lastly, Chris Ballou from the President's United States of America. I thought that one was kind of fun and inspiring. So interesting to me that this guy... Uh, doesn't even isn't even bothered that his band is not a thing anymore because making music for children is his true calling. It's what gets him excited. Anyone who can who realizes that about their life and has the opportunity to make a life doing that after they've realized what it is is that's miraculous. I mean, it's it's one thing for me to say, you know what I was meant to do with my life? I was meant to be a podcaster. Well, guess what? I can't pay my bills as a podcaster. I can't even, I can't pay a single bill. In fact, I pay for the right to be a podcaster, to be honest. But, uh, but this guy is able to make a living doing the thing he believes he was put on this earth to do. I wish we were all that lucky, you know? Um, did you listen to this one, Brad? Yeah, and God bless guys like that, right? Yeah. We're able to... to do what they truly love and, and make a living out of it. Like you said, we, God, we should all be that lucky. Um, he he used a, I thought, a really great expression. He said that uh, they were following the rock and roll success brochure. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I loved his Tom Petty story. That was great. Yeah, I, there was a lot of good stuff in that one. And um, he was a really nice guy. And that band, they were kind of a one-album wonder back in the day. They probably weren't built to last. If your if you're big hits are kind of more novelty, jokey, funny songs, I don't know how far you go with that. Yeah, yeah, that is that is always um, a, a slippery slope, right? If you're, if you're an artist and you're doing stuff that's right on the verge of being Dr. Demento, style stuff you you automatically i think have a have a short shelf life people just won't take you that that seriously i, I don't know i don't know weird Al's managed a huge career out of that well the, yes because he's gone all the way into mm-hmm. that yeah. that is his that is his thing but if you're sort of like a rock band but we kind of do these goofy songs you know that mm-hmm. i i think you you sort of get pushed you, you just don't get taken all that seriously it's kind of like when you know like the academy awards comedies never win because mm-hmm. people just don't take them that seriously it's kind of the same sort of thing i think where people just i, I mean those were great songs i bet if they had different lyrics mm-hmm. not quite so weird or, or mm-hmm. goofy, um who knows they they might might have sold more records down the road maybe and their stuff That's- does get less jokey or, or there's still sort of a innocence to it all as, it, as you listen to further albums. But um, I, you know, you mentioned Weird Al. Yeah. And I thought that same thing, but I don't know that a market can bear multiple Weird Al's. You know what I mean? I, it's like Weird Al, lucky for him, you can't have a hundred Weird Al's all being successful. He's the exception that proves the rule. Right? Yeah. You can have a hundred rock bands, being successful, doing different things. But I don't know that you can have a bunch of weird owls out there doing the same thing and all of them making a living. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That was interesting you mentioned Dr. Demento, Brad. I was I was at the I was out on Tuesday night and somebody had mentioned a weird owl song and we got to talking and I brought up Dr. Demento to one of the guys that had never heard of this kind of stuff. And you got to go listen to Dr. Nevento, the funny stuff. And you get 
great songs like Tom Lehrer's Poison and Pigeons in the Park. <laughs> Go listen to that. So this guy didn't know Dr. Demento? Well, he wouldn't because he was is that... from here in, here in Scotland. Well, that's what, yeah, that's you mentioning that. Is, that, is, is Dr. Demento strictly an American thing? I mean, I'm sure he was, he is American, but I wonder, maybe that's not a global, maybe he doesn't have a global footprint or influence. I don't know. Probably, I mean, probably not, but yeah. I've had people that introduced that, introduced me to him, oh, way back in the, mm. in the nine in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm, okay. Um, okay, lastly, real quick, we'll wrap it up with Robert Tepper's deep dive of No Easy Way Out. I um, I was so proud of this one. <laughs> I, uh, first of all, I'm always, I, I like, so many of our deep dives this year have been with more recent guests, many of whom were guests this year. And uh, I like to spread the net out, especially to remind people that there's a lot of good stuff in like those first hundred episodes or so. Um, no easy way out is a stone cold classic. I don't care what you say, Brad page. I'm just oh, kidding. I knew you were going to, I knew it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think, I mean, you're again, right. yeah. okay. That song is great. Uh, and, uh, for what it is. And so I just thought, let's hear the story of the guy behind a song. Everyone knows and an album that didn't do anything because the record label didn't bother with it. And he put out a new album the same day that has some great stuff in it. Uh, let's, it was, I even gave him the option. I said, Robert, I'll tell you, uh, you could come on and we could just talk for 20 minutes about your new album and do a promo mode, or we can do like an hour, hour and a half where we talk about the new album and the, uh, and deep dive, no easy way out. And I'll tell you, our download numbers are usually stronger for the de for the deep dives than they are for the promo modes. And he said, well, then let's do a deep dive. And he was so funny and so engaging. He doesn't remember much about his career as much as I do, I'm sure, because of the drugs and whatever else. But he just was a fun, fun-loving, engaging kind of guy who gets it, gets, seems to get his place in pop culture. And um, I was glad that we were the guys that told that story. Now, Brad, what did you think? I really enjoyed the conversation. Like you said, he's 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 funny. He just seems like like a, a real guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like a, no pretensions for every modern English, where you've got a guy who's able to afford a two houses, one in Thailand. You've got somebody like Robert Tepper who just had all the pieces were there, right? Mm -hmm. But they just don't fall together in a way that that's you know. The record company probably made a lot of records off the soundtrack stuff, but mm -hmm. you know he's he's kind of left with uh, you know well what do I do with my career you know, mm -hmm. and that's that stuff is it's fascinating it's it's a little heartbreaking but he's not bitter about any of it too no. I mean he's just he's you know and you got to love that about a guy mm -hmm. right that's like that mm -hmm. to go through that 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 has all the has every right to be fuck this business you know mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but instead you know he just keeps at it um he's high spirits still making music um what's not good, good. Enough, right so going back it's interesting you mentioned the hustle fest earlier brad robert is one of the guys that i would most want to do that and uh i've thought about that if i were to be able to do this you know hustle fest thing i thought about getting him in vegas and a couple other people like him. In fact, uh, Gerard McMahon, Jim Tom Mack, 
I thought it'd be fun to have him come out and do his, you know, cry little sister from Lost Boys. You're going to, he's going to be in Glasgow soon. I think you're going to go see him, right, Ian? Yes. Yeah. Uh, guys of that ilk, that kind of 80s, you know, AOR rock kind of vibe. Get a few of those guys together. Again, I don't know if it's your jam, but that he, Robert is one of the guys that I've thought about for sure, including on this. Uh, last question before I turn this over to Ian. Oh, is before, so, oh go ahead, Ian. Before, tell before us. Before you go for that one, just somebody to add on to that, the Hustle Fest. I'd want Walter Egan on there and he could tell, sing a song and tell us Joshua Tree. Joshua Tree Park story. That's true, and all the girl, yeah, the the you know what it was like to date Stevie Nicks for two weeks, and yeah, that's what I mean. It's like let's wouldn't it be great to get in a room with these guys and just let them tell some stories and play some songs? You know, they don't get to do that very often. I don't know. You're kind of firing me back up on this, Brad. So before I find out what Yan thinks about Robert Tepper, is no easy way out a Stone Cold classic or not, Brad? Uh, not in, not for me. Not in your world. Okay. Just he's, curious. He's a great voice though. Yeah. He does have a great voice. Okay. Just curious. Yeah. And what did you think of Robert Tepper? Fabulous voice. Awesome sax player. Well worth a listen. Yeah, I agree. Good. Okay. Well guys, that brings us to the end of another recap. I meant to, uh, throw it out to our listeners if they wanted to ask questions and I ran out of time and didn't get around to it. So we'll have to save those for the next one. Do you have any questions for us, Brad? Anything else sitting on the table anywhere? No. Okay, well, I want to close it out. I always try to close it out with a song that is by one of our listeners that is available for purchase. Um, and in this case, I'm going to go with... Uh, now, Greg Troyan is a, a member... He's in the podcast community. He does a podcast called The Lipstick Panel which I know you've been on, Brad. I'm going to ask you about that in a second. Uh, he is also in a band. He fronts a sort of a glam rock, hard rock band called Lipstick Generation. And they just released a new single called Eyes of Love. And if you like that greasy, slimy, glammy rock and roll, then you're going to like this song. I met him briefly, briefly, I think at the last expo that I went to. And... Um, He's great. His heart's in the right place. He did a great episode on Decimal Geek about Thin Lizzy. Totally got me excited and thinking about Thin Lizzy in a new way. And he did a series recently on his podcast, which I, I'm only a couple episodes into, seven-part series on his favorite album of all time, which is Jim Steinman's Bad for Good. I love this album. Brad is one of the guests on this series. You have a different opinion. Tell us about uh, Bad for Good for a second here, Brad. Well, as everyone probably knows, Jim Steinman is most famous for writing and producing for Meatloaf. And Bad for Good is uh, pretty much just warmed over Meatloaf. It's Meatloaf. <laughs> it's Meatloaf and everything except for not having Meatloaf singing on it. And uh, Jim Steinman is no Meatloaf when it comes to vocals. Again, it's a record produced by Todd Rundgren, so I do have a a stake and an interest. That's why that record is in my record collection. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, well, as I said to Greg, I can't believe that's his favorite album. I don't think that's even Jim Steinman's favorite. <laughs> uh, and it probably wouldn't surprise you that I love that album. Figure. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Uh, so yeah, we're going to go out with some uh, lipstick generation eyes of love. Thank you guys. I love you both very much. And I'm so grateful that we're all friends. 
thank you so much for everything that you do and what you bring to my life. Thanks a lot. Well, I, I, I just have to say, I wouldn't be doing this podcast if it wasn't for you and a couple of the other guys who just com- total inspirations to, to me and got me off my, uh, we all have great ideas, but it's, mm-hmm. it's taking that step and the people that inspire you to take an, just an idea in your head and turning it into a, a reality. So my podcast only exists because of you and a few of the other guys. So thank you mm-hmm. uh, for, for doing what you do and inspiring me. I really love the hustle. Thanks to both of you. Thank you, Brad. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I really, I really do feel like what we do, not just, just us in the hustle, but other podcasters as well, what we do is important. Mm-hmm. We have a chance to document and to to put a little bit of history out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John and I were talking about that when we were together in Denver, and um, how and I bristle a little bit when people say, "Well, if you're not making any money at it, it it's a hobby." And I I don't look at this as as a hobby. To me, this is a mission. Mm-hmm. My mission is to to document this music, to keep it alive, to bring it back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because just look at Eddie Money and Rick Ocasek and mm-hmm. there's a long list of, of people we've lost in the last few years and it's only going to get worse mm-hmm. uh, because everyone's getting older, in, including us. Yeah. And um, if we want this music to stay in the consciousness or at least be out there we're just doing our little piece of it i'm not saying we're going to rescue it or we're going to change the world but maybe somebody hears a song they hadn't heard before because we featured on our podcasts or the artist on our shows or they forgot about something i used to really like that record mm-hmm. i forgot i'll pull that album out and listen to that again and that's that's just all we can ask um, yep. is that this music has meant so much in our lives mm-hmm. um, that, that we want to keep it alive and it can still mean things. Um, you know, we've, you constantly run a cost like Greg Troyan is a great example. He's a young guy whose favorite music is from the seventies and eighties and the Beatles are his favorite band. And he wasn't mm-hmm. even close to being born when that stuff. Mm-hmm. Was out. So this music can still mean something to, to a new audience. They just have to see it the way we see it, um, to be exposed uh-huh. to it. Uh, and that's, that's all I'm trying to do to keep it alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example. You, you 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 mentioned that, Brad. My my son, my my fifteen year old son, loves 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 Credence. Mm. Mm. Nice. I wasn't even born. I wasn't even born when Credence <laughs> was started out. But my my teenager loves them, mm, and was absolutely absolutely like no way kind of reaction when I told him we were having Stu Kirk on yeah way back at episode 100 he just yeah. he's like he, he couldn't believe that we were we would have people like that talk to us yeah we're just uh trying we're, I'm with you it's a mission it's a calling you know hopefully people appreciate it and if not I guess we're just we're preaching to the people that do get it and uh I can't say it any better than you did anyway love you guys and uh thanks for everything Thanks, guys.